Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Blues bringing the puck in, they tuck it in and score. Right off the opening faceoff, scoring first in the hockey game. 11 seconds in, Achari tucks it underneath Gibson to give the Blues a 1-0 lead. On the backhand, Akairu, one-timer. Comes to Thomas, far side, they shoot, they score! Mook, power play goal, beats Gibson. Great work by Achari. Clears the zone to Butchnevich. Pushed it to Achari. Empty net goal, he scores! And a two-goal game for Noel Achari has sealed this one for the Blues. That's seven wins in a row for the St. Louis Blues. And that sets an NHL record for longest winning streak after a losing streak of eight games or more. And the St. Louis Blues are on a roll. This has been an unbelievable season to watch, Alex. You started out on such a high note. Alex is saying that the Blues are winning the Stanley Cup after they go out there and kick the crap out of Columbus. Yeah, they won the Blue Jackets war. Battle of the Blues. They got it. Now it's just the Columbus Jackets. That's right. I actually like that name better. It's stupid, man. It's Blue Jackets. Okay. Well, they, it used to be. It then used they lost to be the until they lost the, blues. the first game. Battle of the Blues. Blues win the first three. Then they lose their next eight. Now they have won their next seven. It has been a complete roller coaster of emotions from start to finish and of the season thus far. And games in. <laughs> what an unreal way this season has gone. Alongside Alex Ferrario and great Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That is what it sounded like last night as the Blues make history. Now, this is, even for me, and I'm stat boy, a convoluted a superhero. Sign stat boy. We'll throw numbers at you. The blues are it's my that's my weapon of choice. Don't boom, do boom, that boom, hand boom, motion, boom, man. Come on, man. After losing eight games, there is no other team in NHL history that then won their next seven consecutive games. A ridiculous stat, no doubt about it, but a stat nonetheless, and that's what we have to be able to offer for you guys today. Alex, what's your biggest takeaway from the win last night against Anaheim? Uh, It's honestly just the way that they have been playing and how they've been winning these games. I I mean, to say that you've won seven consecutive games is one thing, but to win seven straight after you lose eight straight, like... That doesn't happen. Now, if you look at the schedule, yeah, they played the Ducks twice and you were thrown in a couple of gifts, so to speak. But I mean, as we saw last night, that's not an easy game to win if Anaheim is prepared for you. Even Tori Krug had said it after Saturday's win that like we remember in that bubble play and the post-COVID season where it's hard to beat a team two consecutive times in the same building. You could see it get a little testy last night too. Yeah, like you, you... 
the team just comes out prepared for you and anaheim played that really well but the blues they found the way to kind of battle through that one and here's the thing like they're getting the goaltending they're getting the defense now they're scoring a ton of goals i mean you've scored 53 goals so far through 18 games which is the third most in the central division <laughs> behind dallas and colorado so like you're getting all the contributions that you thought that you could get this season here's what i took away from that one though you won that game in an area that you haven't played yet this season in terms of going into the third period in a tie where you needed to win in the third now you've gone into the third period up and then given up a goal and then had to go back and win it like you did against the san jose sharks but think about it colorado phil or uh, colorado and vegas you went into the third up and you held on to the victory the anaheim ducks game on saturday you went in with the lead washington game you gave up the lead in the third but you fought your way back in but you didn't score in the second period it was a 1-1 game and you went into the third and you battled through a really decent anaheim ducks team and you found a way to win on special teams and cap off the victory that was a even though it was against a bad anaheim ducks team that was a solid performance by st louis to hold on and fight their way through you know i'm with you and when it comes to playing the ducks i mean you can say yeah they've beaten the ducks they've beaten the sharks well if you're going to go that route you also have to say they've beaten vegas they've Absolutely. beaten colorado here like you can play that game but you also have to play it the other way around too and jordan bennington has been just flat out outstanding like the only players jordan bennington can't stop right now is his own when they put yeah. it into his own <laughs> net like that's the only time it, it feels Letty. like he's allowing goals I mean, that's what two of the last three goals have been own goals quote yeah. it's either seven or nine that joey said david alexander the goaltending coach has said this season bennington's given up either seven or nine goals that have gone off their defensemen it's a lot well, and, and then think of all the backdoor like tap-ins that he's given up also like Joey said this post game last night. Jordan Bennington has not had a game that you look at and you say that was a bad goal. He should have had that one. I can't think of one game that Jordan Bennington has had multiple goals like that. Well, and last night, Nick Letty, the, the puck that went off of Nick Letty, didn't, that's the ninth goal scored against the Blues that have gone off against uh, off defensemen and in this year. So Jeremy Rutherford had this in his story last night. He said Jordan Bennington earned his sixth straight win on Monday. In this stretch, he's allowing an average of two goals against. He has a 940 save percentage. He has stopped 188 of the 200 shots against. If you throw in Thomas Grice's win over Washington in this seven-game stretch where they've won every single one of them, the duo has combined for a 936 save percentage. What's changed? How did the Blues go from losing eight straight to winning their last seven? Well, I think there's two things in particular that immediately come to mind for me. One, your goalies are just flat out standing on their heads. Now, they're also getting better play in front of them, and a big part of that is the offense, which I'll get to here in just a minute, but your goalies have been outstanding. Jordan Bennington is making the big save when it is necessary, and we talked about this ad nauseum last year. There were too many games where Bennington, when he would be out there, there would be one big play, whether it was a breakaway or a power play, whatever it was, where he just wasn't able to make that big save. They dip their heads. Everybody knows, oh, that's the one that we're going to live to regret, and they end up losing as a result of that. This year, it hasn't been that way. It's been the opposite, in fact. He's making that big save. They're able to go down, and they are able to capitalize on it. And that brings us to the offense. During their losing streak, Alex, we talked a lot about Jake Neighbors and Logan Brown, two guys that they were counting upon to take top nine spots for them this season. They had combined during the losing streak for zero points. 
in that stretch, Jake Neighbors, and I'm not blaming these two guys. I'm just, the, I think it signifies the difference of what's happened on those lines. It's also what's happened around those two. Jake Neighbors had zero points and was a minus 10 in the eight-game losing streak. Logan Brown had zero points, was benched in a part of that, was hurt for portions of it. He was a minus two on the ice. So they had combined for zero points in eight games and were a minus 12 when they were on the ice. The two guys that have replaced them more often than not are Noah Chari and Josh Levo. During this winning streak, those two players have combined for 10 points and are a plus nine on the ice. So that's a 19 or a 21 point swing, and they have contributed 10 more points when the other two guys had zero. That's what's changed. You're finally getting the contributions from your top nine. You went from having two too few top nine forwards to having like an extra top forward now because last night you don't even have Vladimir Tarasenko out there and it didn't matter because you've got that depth of scoring once again. That's what they were missing during the losing streak. It's what they have somehow added in Josh Levo and Noel Achari. Those guys have been more than welcomed additions given what they've had production-wise. Yeah, the difference this season and last season was last season you were trying to make Nathan Walker work in your top nine or Matthew Pekka work in your top nine when all the injuries and the COVID hit in and you were finding ways to still win those games because you were just having absurd seasons from your top guys but this season you haven't been having that and you were trying to force jake neighbors into that role which makes a lot of sense that they sent him down to the minors and i think he's got four assists through three games right now for springfield uh logan brown honestly kind of surprised me because i thought he was going to be better than what he's been early on maybe it's been a lingering issue with injuries whatever it might be but you made the additions in the offseason that have complemented this team, Nolachari and Josh Levo. And I know people hear Josh Levo and think, yeah, that's not an answer offensively. Look, this team's 7-0 when Josh Levo plays more than 10 minutes in a game. And you're getting contributions from Ryan O'Reilly and Brandon Saad because of Josh Levo holding on to the puck. And then you've got Nolachari. And we talked about Noel yesterday. I love him. Guys, I'm I all in. I couldn't be more all in on this player. The thing about Nolachari was he was such a pain in the ass to play against in that Boston Bruins Cup series. And he's doing that, but he's also showcasing what he figured out in Florida as a guy who can score 20 goals. And you're getting a little bit of in between. How many fourth liners in the NHL can do the move that Nolachari did last night, 11 seconds in in the first period? You know he's on pace for 20 goals right now? Yeah. I I, I don't think he's going to get there. I mean, one of them last night is an empty netter. But he's even if he before. finishes, he could be this year what Barbie was last year. He, where you, le you leave the season, you're like, wait, Nolachari had 17 goals this year? Here's the thing. Let's say tomorrow night, Vladimir Tarasenko's healthy and returns. Noel Chari's not moving down to the fourth line again for me. And I'm not moving Josh Levo, and I'm not moving Jordan Cairo. Those guys have combined for 28 points in seven games. I'm moving Ivan Barbashev down to a fourth line, and I'm putting Vladdy in there with Braden Chen and Noel Chari. The tough part is, like, Bar Barbie's been playing okay, too. I know that the points aren't what, where you necessarily saw them a year ago. I don't think Barbie has been a problem. He's not a problem, and I'm not saying he's a problem. I even think that line has really come together well. So I, I might going to put Vladdy on the fourth line. No, God, no. I, I might put Nolachari back down on the fourth line. And, and this is not a shot against him by any stretch. He can. We've seen this where they'll work him into some of those top nine minutes, and he'll finish the game. He's going to play on the penalty kill, so he's going to still get his like 11, 12 minutes over the course of the game. I have no problem with that. He's an overqualified fourth line player, and I don't mind having that, especially with the way he plays, man. I don't want to overexpose him to too much ice time where he could potentially get himself hurt. Again. Yeah, I mean, I can understand so I that. That's what I, I just what I, I, I play the hot hand right now, and the hot hands are 
Kairou with Thomas and Buchnevich and Nolachari with Braden Shen and Ivan Barbashev. And I would take out an Ivan Barbashev and see if Vladimir Tarasenko can get going because let's also not forget that he's in the midst of a six-game scoring drought also. So Nolachari just seems to be Mr. Fix-It like Braden Shen's been Mr. Fix-It this season. But this is why I would argue this team's missing another forward to play in your top nine. Now? Yeah. Well, not missing. It's a luxury if they can acquire one by the trade deadline because then my fourth line is Ivan Barbashev, Nolachari, and then insert name here who you want to play with those two, where if you acquire somebody to play in your top nine, your fourth line is just as dangerous as anybody else's fourth line in the NHL. I think the problem is then, and I know this sounds, this is such a ridiculous thing to say. Now I'm taking Josh Levo most likely off of that line with Ryan O'Reilly if I add in somebody else. No, you're not. If I'm adding in another top nine forward? You're putting a top nine forward with Braden Shen and Vladimir Tarasenko and Barbashev and Achari go on your fourth line. Okay. And a Torbchenko playing down there. Woo-hoo-hoo! Someone stop me! He's Alex Ferrario. <laughs> We're going to put him in timeout for a little Whoa, bit. Whoa, that? <laughs> Sorry. God bless me. That is great, Francis. I'm Brandon Kyla. We'll get to NFL quick hitters coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster for Valley Sports Midwest, is going to join the show. I want to ask him the question that I think every Cardinals fan is asking right now. Cody Bellinger, you interested? I'm not. Alex is. We'll ask Danny Mack if he is next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Right now, we're happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to talk to our friend, the Cardinals broadcaster for Bally Sports Midwest. He's Danny Mack joining us here on the show. Dan, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Happy Thanksgiving week. And same to you. Dan, we got some uh, some early news for, I guess not early news, some later news for free agency with a new addition to the list. And I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this player because Cardinals fans have been asking about him so far over the last couple of days. It's Cody Bellinger, who was an MVP early on in his career. And over the last two seasons, his production mirrors that of Paul DeYoung's. But he's super talented, left-handed bat, plays great defense as well. If he's willing to take a one-year offer, and it sounds like that's what he's looking for, are you interested in Cody Bellinger? I'd be interested. I'd have to know what he wants to get paid. I I think what you have to look at, though, is, uh, first of all, what's the salary? And I'm sure that by being represented by one of the top agents in the business that, you know, he's going to be looking at a pretty high, uh, hefty salary, and that would be of concern for me when I look at the numbers that he's put up uh, the last couple of years. Now, generally speaking, what we're talking about here is that the shift is going to change the way that teams are looking at left-handed batters because the shift league-wide batting average on balls in play last year was 290, guys, and that's the lowest since 1992. The left-handed batting average with balls in play last year was 283. That's the lowest since 1989. The left-handed average on ground balls in play was 219. That's the lowest in 20 years. Uh, Left-handed batters saw the shift 55% of the time. So you're eliminating the shift. What's it telling you? That left-handed hitters will benefit the most. So 
I think the market for left-handed batters this offseason is going to be huge. Uh, we've seen that with uh, the fact that Anthony Rizzo got $40 million, mm-hmm. and he had an average of 204 with balls in play last year, you know. <laughs> And we saw that Jock Peterson got $19 million in a qualifying offer. What's that telling you? Is that teams are saying that left-handed batters are going to be at a premium and that they feel that, you know what, left-handed batters are going to see a significant jump with balls in play. And so some team is probably going to say, hey, we can correct Cody Bellinger. We think that some of those numbers will be corrected for him. But you know what, there's been a flaw in his swing, and it'll be up to a team to detect that and try to correct that going into next season. Danny Mack, with that being said, in the left-handed hitters, the Cardinals have expressed their interest of looking to find a left-handed hitters. But when you look at the names that are available, a lot of them have a past history of injuries, whether it's Michael Brantley, Michael Conforto, as we just talked about with Cody Bellinger. Do you think there's a chance that the Cardinals just say, you know what, there's really not a lefty out here that makes sense via free agency. Let's just run it back with the left-handed bats that we have have on our team well sure I, I think though then you, you run into a problem of where do you put all these guys um i i mean there, there's other guys out there too that you could probably get on lesser deals maybe jesse winker is somebody that's out there as well that's somebody that would make some sense potentially there's there's guys to be had just like they had at the very end of uh spring training last year in picking up some players so i, I think that there there's some players that you have to look at that could be gotten on the cheap But again, I I think that one of the things you have to look at is that left-handed batters, generally speaking, because of the numbers I gave, uh, are going to be the ones that you have to look at. The teams are going to be saying, let's go get them, because the defensive shift with all the different things that we're talking about uh, are going to have a significant impact on what's being done at the business table, especially in a couple of weeks when uh, all these teams get together in San Diego at the the baseball winter meetings. Dan, one of the things that I think we've run into, it's kind of a bridge off of that question, but I do think it's a little bit different, is when you look at the players that are in free agency, I think sometimes it comes down to certainty versus upside. Like a guy like Cody Bellinger, you would sign him as a team because you're, you're betting on the upside, right? But you know that the downside is, he could be a complete sunk cost, and by May, you know, oh, this is not going to turn around for him. We might have to cut or, like, DFA Cody Bellinger at some point during the season. Meanwhile, a guy like a David Peralta, just using his name as an example, kind of know what you're getting out of him. It's it's going to be an above-average major league hitter. It's probably not going to be anything, though, that you leave the season and say he was a guy that ended up batting in the top three of our order. When you look at what the Cardinals need this offseason— do you think it makes more sense to chase that upside or do you think they're looking more for a certainty type of a player, specifically looking at the left-handed bats maybe? I think certainty is what they're looking for because, uh, you know, one of the things that I I think you're going to see at some point is that Jordan Walker is going to be a part of this team. And with a young player, I, I think that they feel that down the road, there's going to be certainty with him. But with a young player, you never know what you're going to get when you first bring him up. And with Tyler O'Neill, you don't know about injuries. That's of concern. Uh, Dylan Carlson hitting from the left side, uncertainty. That's problem. You know, that's that's problematic with them. Um, I, I think you can say the same thing with Newpar in terms of streakiness, and that's uncertainty. So let's go get a certain thing with that. And that's the the point that I think that you're trying to make here is that if you get some kind of certainty in that lineup, that's what you want to have now. The upside with guys like Bellinger and some of the others that you're talking about, you can pay that price 
and it may pay off for you. And all of a sudden you get that great one-year deal, and, man, it looks awesome in that middle of that lineup, and now all of a sudden you do have the protection. And, look, if they if they went out and got these kind of guys, I'd be all for it. I mean, I, I'd sit there and say, it's great. You know, it's exciting. It's fun to talk about as a fan. But they, they need to have some type of certainty in their lineup because if you look at it right now, they have uncertainty with their catcher's position, they have uncertainty with Paul DeYoung, and you have uncertainty in their outfield and from the DH position. So you do have to get some type of certainty and an assurance that when you put out that lineup every day that there's going to be some type of protection around uh, the two big guys at the corner position, and that's Arenado and Goldschmidt, because you do, for the most part, know what you're going to get there. You know what you're going to get from Tommy Edmond. Uh, you know what you're going to get uh, for the most part with Brendan Donovan, but you've you got to be able to have some type of sustained lineup, you know, one through nine. At least you hope to have that every day for 162. Again, easier said than done, but that's what you hope to have when you go into a season. Dan, we, we've heard John Mozeliak talk in the past that he's not going to dictate his offseason decisions around what everyone else in the league does, obviously, because that's not how you build a competitive team. But how much of a difference is this offseason for him, in your opinion, now that you're not playing your own division as much as you typically do, but instead you're playing everyone around Major League Baseball? Well, I, I think it's big. I mean, when you start, and I, I've talked a lot about this, when you look at the schedule of the Cardinals, for instance, that first month, if you include the off days, uh, you're on the road like 18 days. That is hard. That's, that's very hard. Now, when you come off the all-star break, you're home a bunch. And the, the Cardinals' recent history is that they've been a very good second-half team. But I do think it does change things a little bit when you shave off some of the games inside the NL Central. You know, by, by looking at it right now, the Cubs are rebuilding to an extent. Pittsburgh certainly rebuilding. Cincinnati it looks to be awful this year. And when you're not getting as many games against them and you're starting to take on some of the other teams around the league um, that aren't at that level of the teams I just mentioned, it does become a little bit more difficult. Now, I do think, though, there's some areas that the Cardinals, I think, are going to be better this year because of some of the rule changes with uh, the game. I, I just think defensive shifts benefit the Cardinals, meaning I think defensively the Cardinals infield will be dominant. I, I think when you talk about the athleticism that they have on their infield, that's going to be – I don't think it's being talked about enough. Like other, in the past, you could hide certain players defensively with the shift. When you look at what the Cardinals have right now, so I'm just off the top of my head, if you've got Arenado and you've got Tommy Edmond and you've got Donovan, let's say, at second base, and you've got Goldie and you're not shifting, that's their athleticism against other teams. That makes them a much better team. That, that you cannot overlook their athleticism, and it puts pressure on defensive players and it puts pressure on their athleticism over other teams. So that puts, to me, it puts the uh, players will dictate the game more than the analytics of a front office and their alg algorithms to dictate the outcome of a game. I also think the, the running game becomes a little bit more important of what they have. So I think Tommy Edmond could be a, let's say, a 40 to a 50 stolen base guy this year, as opposed to what we've seen in the past. You know, it was... Uh, what, uh, John Birdie, I think, led the league in stolen bases this last year with, what, 40, 41? Mm -hmm. You know, Tommy Edmond could become a 50 stolen base guy. That's different. I think their athleticism could be something that gives them an edge over other teams. So, yes, while you are, are definitely coming back to the pack against playing better teams because you're in the NL Central, I also think the Cardinals go up a step because defensively I think they're going to be better than a lot of teams. So, I can look at it in the way that you just looked at it, Alex, but I also think that there's going to be an edge 
that they have over other teams because of how they play defense. Dan, final question that I've got for you. I wanted to ask you about a tweet that I saw this morning from David O'Brien, who covers the Atlanta Braves for, I I believe, The Athletic, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, He tweeted out, St. Louis has not been mentioned as a prominent member or a prominent uh, player in the Dansby Swanson sweepstakes, but the Cardinals make a lot of sense for him in terms of their need, his personality, team culture, the whole thing. I've been saying that all all season. Like since we saw the Braves earlier this year, I said I Dansby Swanson feels like a Cardinal to me. Like it just makes all the sense in the world. And I think you talked about that with Chip Carey, if I'm not mistaken, earlier this year as well, where he said like, "Hey, I did uh, Dansby yeah. Swanson. It feels very Cardinalsy." Now I, I'm not all in. I'll tell you my my side of this. I want to hear yours, Dan, on Dansby Swanson. He's had one year, one full season in his major league career where he was an above league average hitter, and that was this past year at age 28 when it all kind of clicked for him. But even in the second half, there it, it really dropped off in a significant way. He's very good defensively. He's very athletic. Culture wise, everything that I've heard is that he's like an 80 makeup. He's he's amazing as a as a human being. Where do you fall on Dansby Swanson as a potential ad for the Cardinals this offseason, Dan? Yeah. And he says he's just a, a wonderful guy, great teammate, Cardinal-esque, if you will. Um, and so all he checks all those boxes. So 100% in that regard, also plays every day. So that's something that you can, you know, say the guy, you know, he, he goes to the, the, the you know, he, he, he's going to play every day, which is something that you love. Um, strikes out a bunch, which, you know, in today's day and age of, of baseball, I guess that's not really that big of a deal. He's going to produce. Um, he's very good defensively, as you, as you mentioned. I, I still go back to this general feeling, though, about the, the shortstop market for the Cardinals. The Cardinals are so high on Mason Wynn. Now, there are some in the Arizona Fall League that came away and felt like, you know what, Mason Wynn projects. There are some that think that he's going to be an outstanding defensive uh, shortstop. I've heard that some feel that he feels that they feel that he could play right now, right now in the major leagues defensively and play shortstop. Some project him being more of like an elite second baseman. You could move him to second base and he'd be elite. The problem is he'd be blocked though by Tommy Edmond if you move him to second base. So if I think what would happen if if you could get if the shortstop market would be and it, and it got complicated to an extent with Bogarts opting out, and now you have a bunch of shortstops and Correa opted out, and if you could get him on a short-term deal and continue to let Mason Wynn develop in the minor leagues and get him on a short-term and bring him to St. Louis, I think that makes a lot of sense. But if he's looking for that long-term big bite at the apple, I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense for the Cardinals. However, never say never. You know, The Cardinals may look at this and say, look, we got a plethora of prospects. This is the guy we want. We want to target this. We want to. We want a long-term answer at short, which they really have not had. You know, they just have not had that. They, they thought they had that in Paul DeYoung. It's been a rotation of guys for a number of years, and maybe they look at that and say, this is our guy, then yeah, then I think they do it. But I think if something short-term falls in their laps, then yes, they go out and do it. I would also add that, I mean, if worst-case scenario, if you decide, hey, we think that Tommy Edmond is now like you're coming up with Mason Wynn. He, he's up and he's ready to go two years from now, maybe. Right. 
well, at that point, Tommy Edmond will only have one year left on his contract, and like you could you can make that work if necessary at that point in sure. time. And I'm not trying to get sure. rid of Tommy Edmond, but at that point, maybe he's $15 million. A team says, we'll, we'll pay him long term. The Cardinals have an internal cheap replacement, and it's basically the Colton Wong situation with Tommy Edmond, where you replace the guy internally. It's it's fascinating, man. This offseason with the shortstop market is, once again, the same conversation in some ways that we had a year ago. Yeah, and that's the other way to look at it. You know, I, I it, it is fascinating. I mean, sometimes you, you got to look at it from their prism, too, where is what's the value of Tommy Edmond to them? Now, they value him at a high level. They sure. also value him at a high level at short. So, you know, I think sometimes we don't value him as high maybe as they do internally. And remember, their analytics are different than those that you may see on – whatever sites that you follow, you know, every team has a little different look at how they value their, 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 you know, their players potentially defensively. So that's always something to keep in mind too. Yeah. I, I try just not looking at defensive metrics as much as possible. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, Hey, that's the interesting thing. You know, look at the defensive metrics of Paul Goldschmidt. It don't. <laughs> it's, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. He's like one of the worst defensive first baseman in, in the game by, by looking at certain metrics. And I'm like, Who's making these metrics? <laughs> the idiot. Who? What? You're out of your mind. I yeah. watch the guy every day. He's one of the best players in the game. You're crazy. It, he was. Uh, there were 91 percent, according to Baseball Savant. 91 exactly. percent of major league players were better defensively last year than Paul Goldschmidt. I Get call out of BS. Dan, I, I call BS. Dan, the way you feel about Paul Goldschmidt is the way I feel about Jordan Bennington. I call BS <laughs> when you look at the metrics and the stats that go into his game. So we, we were getting ready to do the uh, – I know i got to go. You guys got to go. But I was, we were getting ready to do the show uh, the other day on television with Paul getting the uh, MVP. And Rick Horton and I were looking at this, and I said – I go, Ricky, I go, do you look at these defensive metrics on uh, Goldie? He says, can you believe this? I said, who are these people? I said, I quit on these defensive metrics things. I'm done with it. I'm out. I said, I'm going on Danny Mac metrics. That's right. Oh, man. Can we come up with that statistic, a Danny Mac metric? I need a DMM. Danny Mac metrics. I said, he's either one or two. Christian Walker might be one, and he's two. I said, that's what we're going with. I said, build a graphic, Danny Mac metrics. That's what we there got. There it is, the I, DMM. I like those better. I, I think we should have that during the games. Like, yes. it shows OPS plus and then next to OPS plus. It's I need the a DMM. I need a DM squared and, metric. And it's just a ranking, one to 30. Where does this player rank among starting blank in, in Danny Mac's I, mind? And then I said, build a little lower third graphic, and it's got all these little cuss words, and and then you know, then we can get kicked off the air. It's all good. <laughs> It'll we be lose great. Our jobs. It'll be great. Can't you know. wait for it. Dan, appreciate yeah. the time as always, man. Have yourself a happy Thanksgiving. You too, guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. See you, Absolutely. That's Danny Mac joining us here on 101 ESPN. Appreciate his time as always. I, I saw that news earlier today about. Um, the Dansby Swanson stuff, and and I, you guys know my thoughts on Dansby Swanson at this point. I I can't believe we're at the same place. today. Jackson said that he's all in on Dansby Swanson. That's he's what a big he fan. said. Yeah, he loves him. He thinks he's a great player. Oh, jeez. He, he's fine, but like I would rather st- stick with Tommy Edmond than you're, sign Dansby Swanson. Going, and I am like the captain of sign the shortstop. You're going all in on Dansby Swanson after all of these shortstops that are available to you. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine doing that. I, like, I, I would rather Come go on, out and sign. I'm trying to think. Like, Brandon Nimmo. I would rather have Brandon Nimmo in the outfield I than Dansby Swanson at, at shortstop. And personally. people know where I fall on Brandon Nimmo side of things. I don't think he's a uh, a upgrade for you. But over and the Dansby reason why Swanson? I think that those are one for one is because, like, I, I think they're going to get similar deals. I think it's going to be around a five-year, $120 million see, dollar deal for Xander both Bogarts of them. I think Bogarts is going to get that. He, he might get closer to a six-year deal, and it might be, like, instead of twenty. 
$3 million per year. It could be $28 million per year. But I, if you're telling me I could have one of those two players. If you're going to go 5 by 125 and you're going to go a little bit extra money in a one more year, what are we doing here? Totally with you. What are we doing? I mean, one of those guys is a 30% above league average hitter every single season of his career. The other guy has never done that. You want predictability. Xander Bogarts is about as predictable as they come. And some will tell you, yeah, but defensively, Alex, he's Don't not care. very good. He, I'll, I'll make up for it. Don't I'll, I'll make up for it with the fact that the guy is one of he's going to be offensively next year basically what you've received over the last or specifically last year from Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Not defensively what Nolan is, but offensively he is. I'll that, take that's an, who he is. I'll take an OPS over 900 every single season over oh hey he's probably going to give up a couple of errors yeah. at shortstop. You live with it. You, get, you make it work. Get the hell out of here. Coming up in 15 minutes, questions and answers 65780 Zero comfort service text line but next NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, starting with last night's game, Alex. Where are we putting the 49ers among the NFC's hierarchy now? right now? If you missed it last night, the 49ers in Mexico absolutely dominated the Kyler Murray-less Arizona Cardinals 38-10. to Where do they now stand for you when you look at the best teams in the NFC? They're 6-4 and four on the season. I think I'd probably put them fourth among... So here's how I look at the top teams in the NFC. Eagles are still my number one team. I'd have the Cowboys above the Vikings. Agreed. And then I'd have the 49ers below the Vikings. I would have them three, I think. See, and that's where I was curious because I, I maybe I'm in the minority here. I'm just still not sold on San Francisco. They've got a great team. They have tons of weapons. It seems like it's a team that's going to be very difficult to stop when you think of George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel and now Christian McCaffrey. How many teams have a better defense right now than the San Francisco 49ers? I'd say the Cowboys and the Eagles. I don't think the Eagles are better. I think... I, well, I think when they get Jordan the, Davis, they will. <laughs> I think it might be the Cowboys, Patriots, and Broncos. Oh, are you going AFC teams too? Sure, yeah. In, oh, okay. in general, yeah. I, I think those, like if we're just talking NFC, I think the only team that has a better defense than the 49ers right now is the Cowboys. And I think that you could go either direction. I on. think in a postseason game, I think the Eagles are better than what they've shown in the last couple of games. I, I, I would have the Eagles above them. But the clear cut, if I'm just looking at NFC, the clear cut defense is the Cowboys over all of these teams. But it, it, arguably, Eagles and 49ers are right there at 2-3. But it's just it's the Jimmy G factor. For some reason, I'm just not sold on him in terms of, like, leading them to victory, which he's done in the past, so maybe it's just shame on me. That's the thing. Like, at this point, I just have to put it to the side. I know that Jimmy G's not very good, and he's going to make a th- at least one throw every week where you say to yourself, what in the world was he looking at? Yeah. He ends up throwing a costly interception, and it's a matter of can they overcome it. But, man, you look around the NFC, I love Dak Prescott. I think I'm the president of his fan club. Dak's not like the elite quarterback that you're going to go up against. I really like Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts has fallen off a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Still been good. I'm not taking anything away from him, but he has not been the same as he was early in the season when he was off to that torrid pace. Who is the elite level quarterback that they're going to have to go up against that they have to beat in the NFC's playoffs? I don't think I'm there is sure one. not sure that there is one. No. I mean, we're I- talking about, hey, do you go with the Vikings or the 49ers? Kirk Cousins? He's the elite quarterback that I'm worried about. He's been good. He's not elite. Yeah. I just 
I think that they stack up really well against basically anybody that you put out there against. It's them. not so much the elite quarterback as it's the elite offense. And I think the Eagles and Cowboys have a better overall offense than no, San fair. Francisco. And that's where I just come to it where I say, and it like first round, I think the 49ers are going to be simple enough to get through that. But then it comes down to what's that second round matchup look like. Speaking of Jimmy Garoppolo, who's he playing for next year? Because I think he's been good enough this season that he will definitely have a starting opportunity. This year, the question was, is he healthy? And he had the shoulder issues. He got the surgery. He wasn't going to be ready in time for training camp. That resulted in him sticking with the 49ers. And man, they should be counting their blessings right now that he did. Who do you think he starts for next year? Because I would imagine he's probably going to be elsewhere. I got two teams that I think he starts for. The Colts or the Raiders? I don't think the Colts can do that. You can't sell your fans on another retread quarterback after you've been doing this. Well, you got to get somebody who makes you competitive, and you can't just draft somebody. I think they just draft somebody. I, I think they have to bite the bullet because I mean you're kind of in win now mode, though, aren't you? With the roster I don't around think so. you. I mean, they just fired their coach. They the yeah, owner they came out Saturday. and said we've had four different quarterbacks in the last four years. You can't keep doing this. I, I think they have to go the young route. Hmm. Raiders are the other team. I'm wondering. What about the Commanders? Oh, that's an interesting one. I could see Jimmy G going there. They well, don't not, have a quarterback. You're not all aboard of the Taylor Heineke train? Uh, you're not cacawing the rest of the season? Listen, I love Taylor Heineke as a backup quarterback. You know what's funny? <laughs> he Taylor Heineke might be able to survive until the last three weeks of their season. Like, he's he's going to look okay. They've I got the Falcons two in a row against the Giants, which is a weird scheduling quirk that they have on their schedule. It's and fine. then you finish. Listen to this for, uh, for the finish for the Commanders. 49ers, Browns, Cowboys. Good luck. That, those pass rushes are going to get to Taylor and Heineke. That's Browns with Deshaun Watson, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're going to get exposed. How about the Jets? I think the Jets are pretty good. Nah, man. Zach Wilson. Let's get to that. <laughs> so yesterday, Jets head coach Robert Sala comes out. He's asked, hey, are you, gonna be, are you willing to commit to Zach Wilson as your starting quarterback? He said, Great quote, question. We're keeping everything on the table over the next couple of days. Asked if he's prepared to name Wilson the starter this week, he said, not right now, not until I'm done evaluating everything. There's no need to evaluate, good sir. There's all the evaluating that you needed to do on tape on Sunday's game. He you got to make the switch. You got to make the switch. Yep. You, you got to go back to, I, I'm not saying he's good, but Joe Flacco is the guy that gives you the better chance to win right now. And for that reason, that is why I think they'll, they will make a switch at quarterback you, next year. You can't go back to Zach Wilson again after that comment. I could see Derek Carr being their quarterback next year. Too. The Jets? I think, yeah, I think one of the, I think they're the team you mentioned earlier with the Colts. The Colts need to get that veteran in because they're in win now mode. I think the Jets are that team. Is Zach Wilson's going to be reverted to a backup quarterback after the season for those comments? And honestly, I don't even know if a team might take him on. I think as he's a getting the same Darnold treatment. I think he's going to be shipped out of town. Yeah, I mean, you can't make those comments and then follow up with, "Oh, I was just messing around," or "Oh, I wasn't being serious." You took it out of proportion. Like you, you basically have probably diseased that locker room for the rest of the season in terms of it's a team that hey they might not be on anybody's radar of a team that could go for a Super Bowl but I mean you're in playoff contention right now and after that comment against a division opponent that you blew the game there's no way I would go back to him this week or this season yeah you can't it's Joe Flacco all the way yeah th this week this season ever in the future yep like he's done Zach Wilson the experiment is officially over just two years after it began uh, you, you got to move on he he needs a fresh start he needs to go elsewhere and if I'm another team, I'm not particularly interested in Wilson, unless you're willing to pay a good majority of that salary. All right. 
you're going to be gone tomorrow, Alex. So before we get out of here, I do want to get your thoughts on what I think is actually a really compelling Thursday night football game for Thanksgiving Day. The Patriots are traveling to Minnesota to play against the Vikings. The Patriots offense stinks. The Vikings last week, their offensive line was completely exposed. And I don't know what the update is on Christian Darris, how their their left tackle, whether or not he's going to be available in this game. If he is not, the Patriots have the NFL's leading sacker this year. This leading sack artist, I guess, would be the way to phrase that. Sackist. And Matthew Judon is 13 and a half on the season. He's going to have a heyday against that Vikings offensive line yep. if they are without Darris Howe again. Alex, how do you feel about these two teams? Is this a contender or pretender matchup? In Absolutely. Your mind? I mean, you're going to go back-to-back games against a team that legitimately has the best defense in the National Football League with the Cowboys and now the Patriots. And if you go out there and are silent offensively and just get blown away, especially with that offense on the New England Patriots side. Like if your defense can't find a way to stop New England's offense, and then on top of it, Justin Jefferson gets shut down and the run game's not successful for you. The Vikings fall, in my opinion, what we just started with, talking about the Vikings being above San Francisco, you fall below San Francisco after this week if you have that performance against New England. Patriots have won five of their last six games. That sounds impressive. Then you look at who they played. Detroit, Cleveland, New York, the Jets twice and Indianapolis that's their stretch of wins so far things get a little tougher now you're going on the road you're traveling to Minnesota where they just got embarrassed against the Cowboys this is a potential get right spot for them then you have the Buffalo Bills at home I think this is when we see the Patriots come back down to earth their offense is atrocious Mac Jones has been awful over the last few weeks, despite the fact that they've been able to pull out some of these wins. They're better off going with Zappy. I think the winner of this game gets to 17 points. I think that's going to be enough. I Like the over-under is set at 42 and a half. I don't think this goes over that point total. So I, I think that the Vikings will be able to get it done. Their offensive line is what concerns me. They can block up a little bit up front, and especially if they are able to get Darisau back in that lineup. I think that they end up winning. I think the out of the two of these teams, the Patriots are the bigger pretender. Whew, the Vikings aren't able to get this done. It is a little concerning. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've been talking a lot about a player over the last couple of days that I think could be considered a comparison for what Jordan Walker's expectations, or at least the high hopes, could be for him this upcoming season. We'll talk about that coming up at 12 o'clock. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service. Text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 65780 is the Eric Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 618. Alex, who is the uh, Cardinals player? Or, let me rephrase this. Let's assume that the Cardinals sign one free agent that makes at least $20 million per year. Who is the most likely to player to be that person? I think it's Wilson Contreras. I was going to say, well, but see, I think you can get Wilson Contreras for less than 20. I, in this scenario, like, I think Wilson Contreras is the most likely big name free agent that the Cardinals signed this offseason. 
and let's just say there's a bigger bidding war than they expect. Toronto isn't trading the catcher that they want, and the cost for Murphy is outlandish. I think that's how you end up getting back to Contreras, and maybe they say, we'll go higher on the AAV, fewer years. We get Contreras for three years at $60 million. I could see them doing something like that. Yeah, I, I think Wilson Contreras is the most likely out of all of them because I don't think they're going to be willing to trade for a catcher. I think the assets they're going to have to give up, they're going to say, why? We could just go out there and get Wilson Contreras in four years of that. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 618. Guys, when do you think that the notable free agents will start to sign? When are the rumors going to start to heat up? I've been a little surprised by the lack of rumors that we have seen. I'm not surprised that we haven't seen anybody sign. This is around the time last year where we got the Stephen Matz deal. Remember, it was like the week of Thanksgiving. They were like, hey, Stephen yeah. Matz is signed. And he said, yeah, I wanted to know before Thanksgiving where I was going to be playing next I, year. I would assume you're probably going to see some of those middle tier guys probably signed by tomorrow because thanksgiving and then Maybe. the rest of them aren't going to sign until january winter meetings are like early december i would say that's when you really start seeing things heat up but i will say there was we're going to talk about this in the 12 o'clock hour there was a story yesterday that aaron judge is apparently meeting with the giants today i think it is and it sounds like he wants to have a decision sooner rather than later and from what I can tell, he's the guy at the domino that kind of kind of needs to fall before the shortstop market really starts going, because depending on where he goes, that could impact the shortstops. And then after that, you could see a lot of other movements. So I, I think the Aaron Judge thing will determine a lot. From the 314, guys, is Vlad is Vladdy for sure done with the Blues after the season? And at what point would you consider making a decision to trade him or letting him walk in free agency? Let's start with that first part first. Um, Do you think that Vladdy is for sure leaving after the year? I, I would probably put it at... Yeah, I, I think it's pretty pretty definitive he's going to be gone. I mean, not even because of everything that's taken place in the past. It's just because the Blues are transitioning into a new core. And I don't know if Doug's not going to be willing to pay Ryan O'Reilly the money for the age he's at. I don't think if you're going to be willing to pay Vladimir Tarasenko the money he would want at the age he is at. So um, I, I think that they're probably going to look at it as it's best to split ways. You're not going to trade Vladdy. I mean, there's no way, shape, or form you trade Vladdy unless you go into just another down spiral because if you want to win a cup this season, you have to have Vladimir Tarasenko on this team and you have to have him at his best. Um, so, no, I don't think they trade him. And, I mean, even if you were to trade him, you're probably only going to get a second-round draft pick for it. So, like, is that really worth it? I'd no. rather just keep Vladdy for a postseason run. Yeah, I'd be shocked if he was here. In my mind, it's like an 80-20 right now that he's gone. Like, you couldn't keep David Perron, who was going to take a hometown discount. You think you're going to keep Tarasenko, who's not going to take a hometown discount? I, I really don't see it happening. I would be very surprised if he's back next season. And I think that it is... 12 million Time for everybody 12 million dollars is going to be added to that salary because of thomas because of thomas and kairu's extension so i mean that 12 million dollars right there 65780 is the air comfort service text line coming up in about an hour we'll get to bet it or forget it in the 12 o'clock hour very excited to be joined by craig button of tsn but next we've been talking a lot about cody bellinger over the last couple of days just non-tendered by the dodgers you remember back to his rookie year, though, he was quite the surprise for the Dodgers. Could that be the path for Jordan Walker? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Fran Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. So earlier today, I was reading from a an article by the great Ben Fredrickson over in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It is titled, Cardinals and fans should blend optimism with caution when projecting Jordan Walker. I think that's the right way to phrase it. I think you have every reason to be optimistic about what Jordan Walker could be for the Cardinals in 2023. I also think we should reel it in if we are expecting him to be the third big bat in this lineup. You want him to be able to come up and basically be what Michael Harris was for the Braves this past year. You expect nothing and you hope for everything. If he's great, awesome. You just added such a big piece to your lineup that that might be the thing that puts you over to the top to get you to the World Series. Or like the Braves this past year, I think Michael Harris was a large part of the reason why they ended up winning the NL East. So hope for that. Don't expect it. Because expecting something like that is expecting an outlier. And to be fair to Jordan Walker, he's basically been an outlier his entire career. We'll talk to Craig Button of TSN coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, as we've been talking about Cody Bellinger for the last few days, I couldn't help but think to the similarities of what they were down in the minors and then how quickly Cody Bellinger went from being a superstar at AAA and being a top-end talent in the Dodger system to being a legit MVP candidate in the big leagues. So here's the comparison for you, Alex. Cody Bellinger at age 20 in AAA, had an OPS of right around 900. He finished that season with 25 home runs and 15 doubles in 117 games. Jordan Walker last year had an OPS of right around 900. 30 doubles, 20 home runs in 119 games. They were eerily similar offensive players. Both of them have kind of strange body types for what you're kind of thinking about them becoming. Both of them way more athletic than you would expect them to be. Both play outfield. I think Walker probably is eventually going to play a little bit of first base, just like Cody Bellinger does for the Dodgers. They're not the same players. One's right-handed, the other's lefty, so there are differences between the two, no doubt about it. But the comp in what they did in AA is, is remarkably similar. The following season, age 21, Cody Bellinger for the Dodgers hit 270 got on base 35% of the time, slugged almost 600, had 26 doubles and almost 40 home runs in 132 games, and then he became that was when he became the Cody Bellinger that we now know. That happened at age 21. It went from really good double-A player to one of the best hitters in all of baseball overnight. That could be what we see next year for Jordan Walker. And if that happens, that's how you put yourself over the top. Don't expect it. But when you hear that, Alex, and we think back to what Cody Bellinger was at age 21, does it give you more optimism for Jordan Walker? What does it do for you for expectations? It, it for gives me more optimism, absolutely. It also tells me that, uh, hey, why not go sign Cody Bellinger? Because <laughs> you could have two Jordan Walkers, two Cody Bellingers on your team. But it gives you a lot of optimism that, you know, the double H jump to Major League Baseball is successful. And look, every player is different. But if you have that from Cody Bellinger, and look, Jim Bowden has repeatedly told us, like, hey, Jordan Walker is going to win the rookie of the year this coming season. So they're kind of projecting that with that type of player. It really comes down to how much expectation you're putting on that player. Cause I go and look at that roster that the Dodgers had in 2017, when he was 21 years old, you had the Corey Seegers, you had the Justin Turners, you had the Jock Peterson's, you had the Yasiel Puig's. You had a lot of players around him to where Cody Bellinger wasn't coming up, expected to be the big bat. 
he was coming up expected to be a complimentary piece. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the situation Jordan Walker's in right now. You've got Goldschmidt, you've got Arenado, you're hoping that you've got Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, Tommy Edmond. So you're hoping Jordan Walker can just come up here and just be a 21-year-old player and produce at whatever he comes away with rather than throwing him in and saying, we need you to be that second bat for us. So yeah, this gives me a lot of optimism for Jordan Walker and Hopefully things play out this way for him the way they did it for Cody Bellinger because this was the turn of the Dodgers just becoming that dominant force for so long. So Lisa, I, I think, sends in a good text from the 618. Depending on Walker would just be an excuse for the Cardinals to not sign a proven star. Totally with you. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. And I would also add this. These projections or what you're hoping Jordan Walker can become – I would actually go the other direction in terms of what it means for me signing another proven star. I think it makes me more likely yeah. to sign another proven star. And the reason why is because right now you have Paul Goldschmidt with two years left on his significant deal. You have Nolan Arenado who's going to be around for for the long haul now. If you add Jordan Walker to that mix and he becomes that third like pillar piece to your lineup for the next seven years, hopefully the next 15 years, well, now you've got Jordan Walker cost-controlled for at least the next three seasons where he's going to be super cheap for you. And really for the next five years or so, he's going to be almost certainly $10 million or less every single season in that five-year stretch. Well, if I've got that guy that's cost-controlled, I've really just got to eat it for the next two seasons in terms of a significant salary that I'm adding in Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, whoever your favorite player is among that group, and Paul Goldschmidt. And then after that, Goldie's money might come off the books, potentially, or at least he's not going to be a 35, 30-plus million dollar player at that point in his career when he's 37 years old. You've got Jordan Walker that's on the cheap, and now my two significant salaries on the books are whoever you signed this offseason in Nolan Arenado. you just got to be able to make it through the next two years. And if you can do that, you're in a good spot, man, because now you've added another significant back to your lineup, and he adds himself to the Walker-Arenado-Goldie mix probably adding one of one of the catchers this offseason that can be a part of that. And now we're cooking with gas. Now you're making solid upside bets in the outfield. You're saying to yourself, like, if you signed one of those shortstops, now suddenly the conversation we're having about Cody Bellinger, I'm much more in on it. I'm more much more likely to sign Cody Bellinger or one of the upside bats in the outfield if you get a proven piece at shortstop. I'm much more willing to bet on the upside of Jordan Walker or bet on the upside of Tyler O'Neill coming back to form this upcoming season because now you have certainty that's been added into your life. And if I go get one of those bats, I don't really need Cody Bellinger because then I think Tyler O'Neill becomes Cody Bellinger. I think the reason you go after Cody Bellinger sure. is because you're telling yourself that, well, I'm not going to get a shortstop. If Wilson Contreras is the only signing we do, then let's go get one of these upside bats so they can turn in to what we need them to be. But that's a risky bet to play here. So that's all along. It just makes the most sense. Honestly, it's a little bit of what the Dodgers did. Now I know the Dodgers had a higher payroll in this, but like they transitioned into the, um, into the Justin Turner where he was starting to get older and the Corey Seager who was becoming a free agent. And then they transitioned into the Trey Turner and brought in the Mookie Betts. And then they've just continued to add on to that. Again, the payroll's higher, but like, that's what you're trying to accomplish here. Like you're transitioning a group into another group rather than saying, well, all of our rookies are going to be those guys for us. It's, it's really a great point. Um, you, you look back to where the Dodgers were at that point in time, like 2017 they, when he was 21 years old, they also had Corey Seager mm -hmm. on the way at that point. Um, I mean, you just, 
they, they had a lot of guys internally that and, were able to add to the the nucleus. And I that know that Cody Bellinger. Corey Seager is not Tommy Edmond, but Corey Seager's in the same spot that Tommy Edmond's in, to where you're saying, well, we got a shortstop. Why would we bring in another shortstop, meaning Trey Turner? Well, because Corey Seager is going to be a free agent sooner or later, and we're not going to be able to afford to pay him the money he's going to garner. So let's get us a shortstop so we have him. And when Tommy Edmond is unavailable for us, then we have our shortstop and Mason win rather than saying, now what do we got? Yeah, it's better to have too many shortstops than too few. Absolutely. Coming up in 15 minutes, speaking of what the Cardinals need to do this offseason, the National League getting better around them, or at least that's what the expectations are. We'll tell you some of the latest rumors when it comes to the other NL contenders. That's coming up in 15 minutes. Craig Button, though, is one of the best analysts in the business. What has he seen that's changed for the Blues over the last seven games? We'll talk to Craig Button about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's been a season of ups and downs for your St. Louis Blues. They start the year 3-0. They lose their next eight games, and now they have won their last seven. They're the first team in NHL history to follow up an eight-game losing streak with a seven-game winning streak. And right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to speak with NHL analyst for TNT, Craig Button, joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Craig, we always appreciate the time, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm good, Brandon. I'm really good, but not as good as Blues fans because <laughs> there was real despair during that eight-game losing streak, and now with the seven-game winning streak, you know, I think this is what Doug Armstrong and Craig Bruby expected out of the group, and I think the fans are seeing that. And you know, I uh, you, you look at the you, you talked about the ups and downs of the season. You know, they've had the extreme lows early in the season, and now they're experiencing those highs. And, I, I really do believe that what we're seeing from the Blues right now is, is more representative of what their capabilities are rather than what they were doing during that eight-game losing streak. I'm curious, Craig, put us into that seat. You, you've been in it before as you're a general manager of a team, and you know how it is on the outside, right? We we ride these highs and the lows. And so there was conversations about, man, is this team about to start a rebuild? That was like two weeks ago. And now there's conversations of what do they need to add to win the Stanley Cup this season? <laughs> it, it changes quickly outside of that organization when you're in that seat, what are you going through emotionally as you watch a team like the Blues have been this year? Well, you know, and I, I think the key thing is, is that as a manager, you, you know, you're experiencing the, 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 the feelings of losing that, are, that, that you're trying to evaluate how is this happening, why is it happening, and, and you're also experiencing the feelings of joy when you're winning. What you can't do is let those emotions push you in a direction that isn't the right one, one way or another. You know, Doug Armstrong came out a few weeks ago and he said, hey, listen, it's not good enough. And, you know, and he talked about believing in the team. And he goes, but we're not in the belief business. We're in the winning business. And, you know, he didn't want to use any of the R words. And he said, but, he goes, if we if we reach a point that we don't see some significant uh, improvement in our group, well, then we might have to do that. And, you know, I believe in the team. I built the team, he said. But at the same time, you can't just fall on that. And I think that, you know, when you're sitting there as a manager and you're working with your coach, in this case, Craig Ruby, you know, you're looking and going, okay, wait a second here. We've got players that can play a lot better. So how do we affect that part of the performance, number one? Number two, you look at your team and go, okay, what areas of our team can, do, do we need to improve so that we can affect performance in a positive way? And then, then you get to number three, okay, 
what isn't good enough. But if you don't go through one and two and, and, and give it the time, not only for, for, for you to work with those players and to work with the team unit, then number three comes and you might be making the wrong moves. Doug Armstrong's too good, too experienced to fall into that trap. But listen, the emotions are still there when you're losing. It hurts. <laughs> and, you know, I think now, you know, and, and, and I always say this about a manager. A manager's job is to see the team as it is. Not as he hoped it was, not as he wished it would be, but as it is. And, you know, sometimes during an eight-game losing streak, you're going, geez, maybe we're not as good. Or, but, but you still got to be realistic. And the hardest time to believe is when things aren't going well. And the, the hardest time to be realistic and, and maybe thinking things aren't as good as they are when things are going well. So you got to balance those things out. Greg's experiences, I think, serve him well in all those regards. Craig, speaking of that, a lot of conversations were surrounding the two younger players that signed those big contracts in the offseason, Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. And look, Jordan Cairo was having his struggles early on in the season, and now he's turned it around and gotten back to the form that we all expected him to. From a GM's perspective, how do you evaluate those young players when they get that big contract and, and watching them continuing to grow in the player that you're paying them to hopefully be? Well, and, 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 and you, you know, as you touch on that, right, they didn't hand – Doug didn't wake up one morning and go, let's just give Jordan and Robert <laughs> long-term contracts. They had demonstrated over a long period of time that they were deserving of those contracts. You know what I went back to, what I just mentioned earlier? Okay, what are some of our players capable of doing better? What are they – what can we do to help them perform better? You know, obviously there's expectations that come on to you when you sign a big long-term contract like those two players did. But they, they, they are good players. They didn't become poor players overnight. They didn't become poor players because they, because they signed long-term contract. So this is where you go back and, and players put pressure on themselves. So, you know, you, you, you put an emphasis. Here's what you are. Here's what, we, here's what we've seen from you. Get back to doing those things. Don't worry about, you know, the contract. Don't worry about doing more than you're capable of. We, know, we believe in you. We know what you are. I think that that's a message that has to come through loud and clear, you know, when, when players are struggling. Players of any ilk uh, need to hear that. And, and, and then you've got to be behind them and, 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 and work with them. They have to put in the work, and there's no question that Jordan and Robert will do that. But I think that, again, you're looking at a small sample size uh, where they weren't at their best. Now, they didn't get the contract based on a small sample size, and now what we're seeing is exactly – what, what we've seen in previous years and, and what I think that everybody expects them to be and will be in the, in the days, months, years going forward. Craig Button is our guest. You can find his work over on TSN. You can also follow him on Twitter at Craig J. Button. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Craig, I did want to ask you about two guys that we've fallen in love with here in St. Louis during this stretch, and that's Nola Chari and Josh Levo. I did not expect to be saying this on <laughs> November 22nd, but here we are. They've just been like the consummate professionals. Josh Levo plays behind the net. He's been a perfect fit with Ryan O'Reilly on that top line. He's been, I mean, not David Perron, but he's he plays a similar game to what David Perron did in terms of setting up the rest of his line mates. And then Nola Chari has been a guy that's come in and he's had a scoring touch. He's played up and down the lineup. He's been a fourth line center. He's winning all of his draws. What is the value of having guys like that? Those two that just that, you know, they're proven consummate professionals. What is the value of that as a general manager? 
Well, the, the, the value comes in, in, in knowing exactly what they are, in them knowing exactly what they are, and then being consistent in doing what they're capable of doing. You know, Noel Achari a few years ago when he was in Boston scored him like he, he was scoring, and, and, and then he ends up signing a, a, a good uh, free agent contract in Florida. Like, he, he's a good, smart, competitive player. He's weighty, he's got size, he's got competitiveness, he's got brains. So you, you put him in the right spot, and then you just say, no, just go and play. And, and, and that's exactly what he's done. A career that's, you know, had some ups, it's had some downs. But I think he finds himself at a place now where, okay, this is what I am. And when you talk about playing with Ryan O'Reilly, you better be a smart player. Ryan O'Reilly is a brilliant player. And to take advantage of, of Ryan's brains and his skills, you've got to be able to think along the same lines as him. Josh is a smart player. He might not be the fastest player. He might not be that most electric type uh, skilled player, but he's smart enough. So that allows now Ryan O'Reilly to be uh, that much better. And so when you're looking at trying to get players into spots, whether it be on the special teams, whether it be on a line, whether it be in situations, you know, it's not just about what can you do. It's what, what can I do that can help others? And when you're, when you're playing with Ryan O'Reilly, the expectations rise. But when you can think along the same lines and, and think along that level, that elite level of thinking, now that allows Ryan O'Reilly to be that much better. He's not forcing things. And, and, and that, to me, is significant. And I think Josh has done a really nice job of that. Craig, uh, I'm curious your thoughts on Jordan Bennington because the team was going through a awful stretch there with that eight-game losing streak, and the numbers didn't really equate to how well Jordan Bennington has played. But now in this stretch where they've won seven straight games, Bennington's picked up six of them. He's moved himself into a tie for second with nine overall wins among goaltenders in the NHL. Jordan's a good goaltender, and you know he he, he wasn't uh, it wasn't accidental when he came in and he helped the uh, St. Louis Blues to the Stanley Cup in 2019. It wasn't accidental what he did last year coming back. Goaltenders at times run through stretches where their game isn't at the level that they wanted at. Like it, it needs refinement. Keep in mind, you know the, the other teams are looking for for weaknesses. They're looking for holes in a goaltender. They're looking to try to understand how do we take advantage of this good goaltender. So for a goaltender, it's adjustments, it's readjustments, it's readjusting to the readjustments because it, it's not just one aspect of your game. People are, the opponents are changing the way they attack, the way they try to exploit you. And so the goaltenders have to adjust. And sometimes during those moments, you know, a goaltender can look a, 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 a little bit weaker than he normally is. But the good ones find ways to adjust through those moments. And Jordan is a good one. And I think that, they, that what we've seen from him, what Blues fans have seen from him, is exactly that. That adjustment to what others are doing to him and, and, and continuously understanding, okay, i got to make sure I, I don't overplay here. i got to make sure I get to that spot a little bit quicker because they're trying to take advantage of me there. I think that that's what good goaltending is. And I think that Jordan is demonstrating that in a big way. Final question for Craig Button here on 101 ESPN. Craig, when you look at the Blues, what do you think they are most likely to be missing as we get into the the later portion of the season? Where do you feel like they're light? The blue line. You know, I, I, I keep going back to, to the Stanley Cup year. And you go back and you look at, 
you know, obviously Jay Boot needs to retire. You know, they have Jay, Jay Boot needs to run a blue line. They had Alex Petrangelo. They had Joel Edmondson. I mean, he was in and out of the lineup. But, you know, I mean, Alex is a, is a top-notch defenseman. But, you know, you add size. You add length. You know, when you get to the playoffs and you're playing against good teams, you know, the ability to shrink the ice, the ability to, you know, reduce time that opponents have become really critical. And, and when you have bigger defensemen that can skate, I'm not talking about lumbering defensemen. I'm talking about defensemen that can defend, that can take away space. I think that that becomes really critical in winning and competing, competing and ultimately winning the Stanley Cup. I think that's the area where the St. Louis Blues are a little bit light. Uh, Craig, uh, just as a follow-up to that, and I hate that I'm asking this because it's been the ongoing saga for the last year and a half, but because he returned last night, does Jacob Chikrin still make sense for this team? I think Jacob Chikrin makes sense for any team that's serious about winning. <laughs> he's got a, he's 24 <laughs> years old. He's got a great contract, and when he plays, he's a good player. <laughs> Do you think he gets traded soon? I think he does. I listen, I, and I don't. I say this tongue in cheek, so I don't want. I don't want anybody. The Arizona Coyotes are not interested in in, in winning. <laughs> They're interested <laughs> in putting themselves in a position to have the best chances at the first overall pick. Yeah. Right. So Jacob Chicken in their lineup playing well helps them win. And and you know what? Everybody's competitive. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? They they, they might have to. They, they might have to. Uh, you know remove a couple of their good players that are attractive to other teams to, to achieve what they ultimately want to do. Do you, as a quick follow-up, and I apologize on this, Craig. No, no, but don't apologize. Don't apologize. Do you think the Blues have the chips to make a trade like this happen? Yep, I do. Hey, listen, you know, here's what I think. We talk about chips. We talk about payment, right? Like, So the St. Louis Blues are a good team, and, and I think they're a good team. So you start to look and you go, okay, what's the price for putting your team in a better position to compete for the Stanley Cup? I'm not talking about doing something stupid, but the price becomes pretty significant, and, and, and as it should be. But that's what it takes to be successful at the highest level. And so to me, when I look at the Blues and I look at the prospect group, I can tell you this right now. They got, they got players and prospects that would be of interest to the Arizona Coyotes. And that's where, back to Doug Armstrong, just to finish quickly, you know, you, you have to evaluate, okay, does, does this give us a real legitimate chance to, to compete at, at the highest level? And, 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 you know, paying that price, is, is, is it worthy? It's not about paying a big price just to say we did it, knowing that maybe we aren't that good. That's where a manager's job comes in. But when you start talking about do they have the – I think, number one, they have the – Doug has shown more than a willingness to pay a price. And number two, they have the pieces, the players to, to pay that price. Question is, do they want to? It's Craig Button, NHL analyst for TSN. For my money, one of the absolute best in the business. We always love being able to catch up with him here on 101 ESPN. Craig, we appreciate the time. Have yourself a happy American Thanksgiving, and we'll talk with you again soon. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to, to everybody uh, there and to uh, uh, to a wonderful my favorite holiday in the year. I know Christmas is great, but Thanksgiving is still my favorite holiday. It's fantastic. <laughs> Craig, we appreciate the time as always. That's Craig Button of TSN here on 101 ESPN. I really sincerely appreciate all the time that he was able to give us today. Let's stick with that here for just a second. We'll get to the Cardinals and how they relate to the National League here in just a minute. I, I can't believe we're back here, but time <laughs> it, is a flat it circle. Was, it was just a matter of time before we returned.
Jacob Chikrin is $4.6 million. That's a significant salary. Alex, I, again, can't believe we're back here. The salary that you're going to have to remove from the equation in order to take on a Jacob Chikrin is... Don't say Ivan Barbashev. Ivan Barbashev. Son of a... $2.25 million. I know, I know. But you were just talking earlier today about, hey, do you move Ivan Barbashev down to the fourth line? They might have an extra player in their top nine right now. Barbie's... He he could conceivably be that guy. If you take him out, you probably have the room to be able to make something like this work. The modified no trade clause doesn't kick in for Jacob Chikrin until next year. And even then, it's it's fine. You, you, you You can make that work. Alex, do you think this is something that the Blues should seriously consider? Because he got it back. He's played his first game action, played 23 minutes. I'm not going to pretend as if I watched him, but if you're able to play 23 minutes, it sure seems like you're pretty healthy. What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, you heard what Craig said. Like, teams that win need defensemen who can skate and defend the area and take up space on the ice, and that's what Chikrin does. He's not the best defenseman in terms of his own zone, but he's big, he's long, and he can cover a lot of space. So... Yeah, I, 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 again, I can't believe we're back to this because it felt like that ship had sailed in the off season. And look, he's got injuries that I'm sure teams would be concerned about. He missed the first chunk of the season and a majority of last season. I don't think it comes down to, to moving on from Ivan Barbashev. I know you got to make that cap work. It comes down to you're taking on another left-handed defenseman when you've already got a plethora of them in terms I mean, of Nick Letty just becomes a third-pairing defenseman for you, and you have to ask yourself, are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, and I. I think that's a great third pairing defenseman to be and having after in the, the season there's probably some sorting through that you could do like maybe you trade one of those guys yeah. after this upcoming maybe i, I mean maybe tory krug becomes trade conversation once again after this if year. it's me and i agree with craig like i think the weak area is still their defensive zone last night you could tell in the first period they're giving up a lot of turnovers and unable to clear the puck out of their own zone if it's me i'm still exploring and i think the rumors have still been it's two first round draft picks and a high-end prospect so um it's going to cost you a lot. And like Craig mentioned, are you willing to pay it? But in my opinion, you acquire Jacob Chikrin. You've probably got the best defensive six players in the Central Division, if not the Western Conference. 65780 is your comfort service X line. Just want to get this in here. Somebody asked, uh, guys, I thought that the Blues had LTIR space to be able to use. Wouldn't this work under that? They, they do have LTIR space, but it's about $3 million. Jacob Chikrin is about $4.6 million when it comes to his cap hit. So you would have to move about like just to be easy with the math almost two million dollars off of your books and that's why when i bring up barbie it's not that i'm wanting to trade barbie it's twofold one i think barbie might be the type of player that arizona looks at and says hey he could be a part of our long-term future let's bring him in here see if he fits into what we're trying to accomplish bill armstrong is certainly familiar with ivan barbashev's work they might be able to sign him up to a long-term contract extension like immediately upon trading for him. So that's part of the conversation. It's also the money, just being able to make it work from that perspective. And he has value. Like if, if I'm Arizona, yeah, I, I, I will take on Ivan Barbashev as a, as a part of my future. And that's the first piece of what we're talking about here. I'm guessing you'd also have to include... What do you think? A, a first-round pick in Bullduke. one of your lower-level prospects right now? No, you'd probably have to throw in Bullduke. Right. Sorry, I meant a, a prospect that is playing in the oh, lower levels. Okay, currently. I got you. Yeah, but it's yeah. probably throwing in a Bull Duke and a first round draft pick. I would do that. Like I, I would. think I would too. I, the hard part is like you're gonna have to sort through the defense, but like you said, you can figure that out. And also, I mean, is Scandella gonna be back? Are you telling Scandella that you're on LTIR until the end of the season? Like, yeah. th- there's some lot. There's a lot of sorting out to do. But here's the thing. You I'll figure that out when we get there. You had your chance to acquire Hampus Lindholm at the trade deadline, and you missed it. And Hampus Lindholm has been one of the best players for the Boston Bruins this season. 
do you really want to miss another chance of getting one of these top defensemen who could really change the outlook of this team moving forward? Grant, I want to get your thoughts on this. Where do you stand? Yeah, and, and I agree with you, Alex. When, when Craig said that defense is where the Blues are lacking, I totally agree. I, I think that's the only area where they really need to improve. And, and we were talking about earlier with with Tarasenko coming back and when everybody's healthy, like what do you do with the lines? Like we, you have the the forwards that you can you can lose one of them if you're bringing in a, in a defenseman that's making you better losing one forward and bringing in a defenseman that's going to be starting every day and being a huge part of a playoff team is definitely worth it and if it's Barbashev see what I hate about losing Barbashev is he's such a good player in the playoffs he plays the style that works in the he playoffs. wasn't last year not last year but generally he is like I would, I would go more towards last I think you're year being okay a flute. now because you have you have other players that play that style. Whereas in the past, you had a you were limited in that regard. Like sure. now, I think Noel Chari just replaces one for one basically what you had. And honestly, Josh Levo does too. Yeah, Josh so Levo kind of offsets what Ivan Barbashev is. I mean, I, and I also think this team is not resigning Ivan Barbashev in the offseason. And that's something yeah. that we need to well, think. Even, even if you don't, I mean, if he's a free agent and he wants to be here, you still have an opportunity to get him back. That's happened before where you trade away a guy and he wants to be but back. But the reason why I bring that up is because, like, you're either losing him for nothing at the end of the season, which is not a big deal. If you're trying to win, like, Ivan Barbashev helps you get to that means. I'm not saying you just push him out for no reason. But if you have the opportunity to bring in somebody that helps you for this year and for years to come, that's where he he becomes the guy that it, that might be. It really comes down to how the team is playing because if the team's in the midst of a winning streak still and they're just playing on clicking on all cylinders, like you get to the point where Doug was at in 2018-19 where he said, "Do we really want to mess with this?" Well, and sure. That's yeah. where you ask the question. But I, I mean, mean, none of this is even a conversation if they start playing horribly. Right. Again. But the problem is, if you want Jacob Chikrin, you're gonna have to hop on this before the trade deadline because I, Arizona can't afford to go through the season with him because if he gets injured again, there goes all of your stock and all they want right now is draft picks. Yeah, the next six weeks, we were talking about this before the show. This I would is say where before, you get to determine. I would say before the the winter freeze, which kicks in, I think it's either December or January, one of those, I think it might be January, but there's a week where there are no moves to take place. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved prior to that. Yeah, like Christmas. Let, let's set the date of Christmas. Yeah. I, I think that it probably happens before then, sometime in, in this holiday season. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the junk drawer. We'll ask Jeremy Rutherford about this. I'm sure he's going to be excited oh, to talk it. once again about Jacob Chikrin at 1 o'clock. But next, the National League appears to be ramping up to get better around the Cardinals. Are they going to be able to meet that task? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. The Arizona counties are not interested in, in, in winning. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. Yes, of course, we have come back. Time is a flat circle. We are talking once again about Jacob Chikrin. We'll ask. I'm sure he can't wait. Jeremy Rutherford about that coming up at 1 o'clock. But right now, Alex, I was reading earlier today, there were a couple of different pieces that came out. One from ESPN.com where they had some of their national reporters go through their predictions on where the top free agents will land. You will be surprised to hear there was only one that was even connected to the Cardinals. Oh, it was God, Wilson it was... Contreras where one of them <laughs> said that the Cardinals would sign him. I thought you were going to say Dansby Swanson. The problem, though, is not only that the Cardinals aren't connected to most of these guys. It's that 
basically all of the other National League contenders are in some way, shape, or form. The Braves are connected to some of the shortstops, especially Dansby Swanson. The Phillies are connected to Trey Turner by seemingly everybody. I think it almost feels like a foregone conclusion that Trey Turner's going to the Phillies. Like that, that feels like it's going to happen this offseason. The Dodgers have now, because they shed themselves of this Cody Bellinger salary, they're now tied to everybody. The top pitchers, Jacob deGrom, Justin Verlander, they're tied to the Dodgers right now. All of the shortstops, they're tied to the Dodgers right now. Aaron Judge, I have even seen floated as a possibility for the Dodgers because they have the amount of money to be able to go out there and acquire a guy That's like insane. that. It's insane. It's absurd. The Giants are currently meeting with Aaron Judge, reportedly. They're also in on the top pitchers as well. You look around this National League. I mean, the Mets have, like, they could literally sign anybody they want to going into the offseason. You look around the National League, Alex, and it feels like every other significant contender is tied to at least one of the top one of the top end free agents this offseason or any of the available trade pieces. Meanwhile, the Cardinals really aren't. And you could argue that all those teams were already coming into the offseason from a point of strength compared to this Cardinals team. How do you feel when you hear that as somebody that follows this team on a day-to-day basis? That you need to get into the mix of this because, and I understand what Danny Mac said earlier, that yes, you see the other teams around you and and going about this and uh, spending the money and you know you're going to be playing the more, but Danny Mac's point was that, you know, without that shift, the Cardinals are going to have the advantage because of how good they are defensively at the infield position. We'll see on that. Some of the numbers... I, I just, Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman make me a little nervous at second base. Brendan Donovan might be a little bit better at that position than Nolan Gorman with the lack of shift here. But I do think Dan's completely right if you end up getting one of those shortstops and now you're playing Tommy Edmond at second base. That's, that's why where you, I think you really have a sizable advantage. That's why you have to get into this, in my opinion, because all of these teams are upgrading, whether it's at the pitching spot. I mean, if the Dodgers go out there and get DeGrom or Verlander and they get a Carlos Correa or an Aaron Judge, well, welcome to the top dog in the National League once again. If Atlanta doesn't bring back Dansby Swanson and signs a shortstop well welcome back to the top team in the NL East Mm -hmm. you know the Mets are going to be spending money now the Giants are going to be entering the conversation here the Cubs have been connected to shortstops the Phillies are going to spend money like all of these top teams in the divisions in the National League are going to be spending and if you sit there and say well got ourselves a catcher and we're running it back with everything else you're not making yourself significantly. You're not even making your sh- yourself in, in a hypothetical world if the Cubs signed Carlos Correa. I, I, the, the, the Cubs stink. I get it. But the Cubs are going to be a little bit better. Yeah, but they're not better than the Cardinals. I, I wouldn't even put them in the same category as the Cardinals. They're, they're more than a couple You're losing of a pretty away, significant bat and relying on a lot of younger players and not bringing in a significant bat to sit there and say that we're still the top dog in the NL Central. No, I think you are. They're the top dog in the Central. But the, the, I don't know, man. I, I don't even care about the Central, though. Put that to the side. Because that doesn't matter anymore here in St. Louis. But like, the that point is a I'm, prerequisite. But the point I'm making is, yeah, you could be the top dog of the NL Central, but other teams might be closer to you, and now you're even further away from being competitive with these teams in the and NL. And that's the part of the conversation that I think is meaningful, is that you, you look around the National League, and it like forget the Central Division for a second. The rest of the National League is what you're really competing with. Because of the way that the, stand, or the, the National League playoffs are now constructed, because of the teams that are now like on the up and up or have arrived at the top Braves Mets Phillies Dodgers Giants Padres it's not getting any easier and I'm not saying you just got to go out there to spend to spend I'm not there to I'm saying you go out there and you spend to significantly upgrade going out there and acquiring like 
one of those left-handed bats for $10 million and a free agent reliever for $10 million. And maybe it's a, one of the mid-level, like a Christian Vasquez as your catcher. Okay, so you spent $30, 35000000 million this offseason. You added three marginal pieces. Are you significantly better when the Phillies added Trey Turner? Are you significantly better when the Giants added Aaron Judge? Are you significantly better when the uh, Dodgers added Jacob DeGrom and Carlos Correa? I would argue no. You, you marginally, given where those teams were and where you were and where you now are, if that ends up being what happens, you've actually dropped compared to those other teams, how how hard it is to now compete in the National League. So go out there and make a, a big move for one of these top-tier talents. That's what I want to see them do in the offseason. And I know some of our, our audience gets mad because we talk so much about the shortstops, but, man, that's where the talent is. We talked with Derek Gould about this last week, and he mentioned it. If they go into two consecutive offseasons where they convince themselves, no, that's not the right move for us right now, well, then I will be convinced that it's never the right move. Because if Tommy Edmond and Mason Wynn, who might be two years away, and Tommy Edmond, who is a really nice player, but is not a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, and by the way, only has three years left under his current contract. If those are the guys that are keeping you from making one of these kinds of moves, I just, I don't think that you will ever be in the spot where you feel comfortable getting in those kinds of moves and it's not just two consecutive years of you missing out on this market it's what is it now eight nine consecutive years of not having an everyday shortstop like at some point you have to say not a long-term one yeah at some point you have to say uncle and, and be like look we just need to get ourselves a certainty at this position rather than going into every offseason saying well we're going to rely on this guy and we think this guy has potential and this guy's coming up through the system guess what that hasn't worked for nine years can we move past that can we just sign a certainty i mean when was the last time that the cardinals had a long-term answer at short i mean was you it? can you can i mean what would you say long term I mean, more than like a five-year stretch. Like a guy that you counted upon every year annually to be the guy that's going to start in. You're going five years? Probably. Well, yeah, probably Ozzy. Because Paul DeYoung has been the closest Johnny thing to Peralta, it. Johnny Peralta four was years? for like three or four. Three years where you really believed in it. I mean, it. I mean, X time, but X time was only a couple a of years. Revolving door. Renteria? Maybe that, Renteria? Was only, that was what, two, three years? I don't really. For Renteria? God, I don't know. I was like nine years old when he played here, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're going back to the, the 90s was the last time that you really saw a guy. Yeah, yeah. Renteria. I guess Renteria, yeah, Renteria probably would have been the guy. For six years. So 2004, that, that was the last time that the Cardinals had a player that they counted upon for a five-year stretch to be their everyday. And guess what? Looking at Renteria's numbers, you have your opportunity to get yourself another Edgar Renteria. Maybe not as good Better. defensively. Well, I'm looking at more of the offense like a Xander Bogarts because I don't think Turner and Correa yeah. happened. I mean, Renteria only had one year where he was really good offensively. Every other year, he was like a little below average yeah, offensively. Back-to-back I mean, -back years can are voted an MVP con. Conversations. Yeah, Renteria was a, was a very good player. I, you could get a guy, what you got from Edgar Renteria in 2003, that's what Dan's, or not Dansby Swanson, that's what Xander Bogarts, that's what Carlos Correa, that's what Trey Turner are every single and year. That was in the midst every of, single year. And that was in the midst of them having Pujols and Roland and Edmonds already yep. on the team. Like, you want to get back to that era, you have your chance this offseason. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're playing a game of better to forget it. 65780 is the error comfort service text line. But next, let's talk to Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic. Want to ask him his thoughts about the line combinations today at the morning skate. It was a little different than what we expected it to be. We'll get to that and ask him his thoughts on the possibility of Jacob Chikrin once again here on 101 ESPN.
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into a game of bet it or forget it. You give us a scenario, we'll tell you if we are betting it or forgetting it. Again, 65780 is the place where you can get those texts in. But right now, it is time. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 101- Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic is in studio with us. It's our pleasure to have you in studio, not on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at JP Rutherford. Jer, what's up? And he brought us a turkey for Thanksgiving. I wish I did. I don't have anything. (laughs) What's your go-to side? Oh, all of them. Every (laughs) single one of them. (laughs) <laughs> True or false, Thanksgiving food is overrated. It is not overrated. This, okay. this guy over here, he hates sure. turkey. He hates Thanksgiving. He not, hates Halloween candy. I think all of it's fine. I, I don't have an I'm not saying that any of it is, like, bad. It's Hold all on. fine. Hold on. Beep, 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 <laughs> Pumpkin pie is trash. <laughs> like, pumpkin pie, you can save that. Pumpkin I'll let pie you have is not it. trash. Trash. You're trash. You add the, whatchamacallit, the whipped cream on the top to take away from the fact that the flavor is not good. Or mayonnaise on top, Alex. Yeah. Uh-huh. Depending on what you prefer. Uh-huh. All right, let's get. That's not what people are here for, though. To hear with us talking to Jeremy Rutherford, Jr. Have you ever seen a season like this? Oh my goodness, no, I have not. And anybody who talks about, you know, they had a feeling this team would put it together. I realized Joey Vitale was one who came out and said that, uh, you know, I feel like this team could win four, five, six in a row. Hey, Joey knows his hockey, good stuff. But you know, not everybody's did BK. No, he Come sat there. On. He's raising his hand. He said that he so said the season was going to turn around in Vegas. They were going to lose against San Jose, and the season was going to turn around in and Vegas. I said, yeah. where did the season turn around? Winning streak yeah. after that. I said they would beat Vegas. They would beat Colorado, and then you saw what the upcoming schedule looked like. Washington, and then two against Anaheim. Okay. I said they would win all of those games. So put my name in there with Joey. Okay, Vitale. take a bow, but 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 you said they were going to lose to San Jose, right? Because you said did, it was going to yeah. get started against. Yeah. So, but I wasn't. <laughs> I was impressed. I was out there at the T-Mobile, and uh, when they won that game against Vegas, like, dang, BK. Yeah, see, no, he, he, he gave he texted me, me that, and he's credit. like, BK's an idiot. And I yeah, said, yeah, I he's right. Not. But you know what? The one thing I will say about that real quickly is, uh, oh my goodness. So you know, they they lose five in a row. Doug Armstrong comes out and talks. They lose three more. At that point, we're writing trade options. You know what's going on with Berube, right? I've had so many people, you know, tweet, text, whatever, in the last, you know. Five, six days, and it's all, uh, you had this team being traded, broken oh, up. Uh, okay, I'm glad you could see into the future and yeah. see this seven-game Because nobody streak. else was going to be doing this, even when the GM brought up <laughs> yeah, the, the reword. The president of hockey operations said we might have to go into a rebuild. Like, Yeah, the, the, what do you think the reaction is going to be to it him saying that? has not used that word in 12 years. You're right. Yeah. Now, follow-up to that, Jr. Why is Craig Bruby trying to ruin a good thing by breaking up the best line on the ice and Ryan O'Reilly, Josh Levo, and Brandon Saad? Yeah, you must have a na- good name for that line it's or something. It's the X-Factor oh, line. We why? came up with it yesterday. Yeah. I knew there had to be a name There's for it. a good it. nickname That's for it that we all came up with. We. But me, you're right. Sorry, buddy. Uh, 7-0, and oh, JR. 
seven and oh. And Josh Levo plays north of ten minutes with O'Reilly inside. Why are they trying to ruin a winning streak? I asked Craig Burby about that just about 45 minutes ago, putting Tarasenko on that line with Ryan O'Reilly, and he said, uh, I thought that uh, Thomas, Cairo, and Buchnevich line looked pretty good, and we're just going to have to move some guys around and see what works. So I do get it. Levo has had a lot of success with Ryan O'Reilly, but we're, we're also at Ryan O'Reilly's stall and said, what do you think about that? And he goes, I'm not turning down Tarasenko. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, he paused, and he goes, it'd be something if I did, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I think the thing that I – like, I don't have a problem with it necessarily, and typically when you question what Craig Burby does with the lines, yeah. it results in he that line going out face. there and completely dominating in the next game. But when I look at it, like it it felt like the Barbashev-Shin line was just the obvious place to put Tarasenko if they decided, hey, we kind of like what we're seeing here with Thomas and Kairou, and I, I think we all liked what we saw from that line, because you did have that chemistry that had developed between O'Reilly and Levo. So you go with Saad, O'Reilly, Levo, Barbie, Shin, Tarasenko, and then you drop Achari back down to that fourth line. Is this a matter of Achari just playing so well that they didn't want him to drop to the fourth line? You know, I did see your tweet during uh, practice, and I looked at those lines, and I thought, hmm, there's something, too. That could that could work if you want to keep Levo up there. Uh, but I think a couple things. One is, yes, Achari is playing so well, and I think he needs to play up. And, and look at what he's done with uh, Shin and Barbashev. Yeah, like, you didn't want to break up Shin and Kairou, but you had to, kind of. So now you put Achari up there, and he's played great. Like, that line looks really good with Achari up there, and I think you're getting a from those guys on that fourth line with Toropchenko, Alexandrov, and if it's going to be Pitlick or Levo on that line. The other thing is I'd have to look at the numbers. Uh, people don't like the dirty word analytics, BK, but uh, – Stat boy does. I don't think over the years Shannon Tarasenko have had that much success. So I think whether it's Kairou or it's Achari can work with Shen, but I'm not sure Tarasenko does. So we were talking about this a little off air, Jr. about the next four weeks, three weeks essentially, like all the way up till the end of December. I mean, you've got – You've got competitive games starting with the Buffalo Sabres all the way until like that last week of December when you play against Chicago again. Is this going to be is this going to be the stretch where Doug Armstrong's able to really identify if this team has what it takes to make a Stanley Cup push once again or is kind of in that category that they were with Paul Stastny where they said, "Man, we're good, but we're that not not that good." Yeah, probably so. It's a good point. I think maybe I don't want to say a little bit early, but maybe a little bit early. Uh, I just can't believe that we're sitting here saying if the season ended today. The Blues would be in the playoffs. 18 games into the season. <laughs> it's just crazy to to think that uh, where they've come in the last two weeks. So, yeah, no, I agree. They have had a, a good stretch here when you talk about BK's win over Vegas, right? The win right. over Colorado. Yeah, just in you're a pumping his head. And look how big it is finish. already. <laughs> but I, I think they've beaten some quality teams here. So I think Doug Armstrong probably has been impressed with what they've done. But you're right. you got some some really good teams here and that can kind of kind of set the barometer, I think, for Doug Armstrong to let him know, hey, what am I going to be dealing with here? So when you look at the way that things have turned around, JR, we identified in our open today kind of two things that immediately stand out. And there's a million of them that you could you could point to. That's how you go from being one of the worst teams in the NHL over a stretch to being one of the best, of course. But you look at the play, players that were in the top nine during that losing streak. You had Jake Neighbors, who had zero points and a minus 10 over that eight-game stretch. You had Logan Brown, who had zero points and was a minus two. So combined, no points, minus 12. You replace them in the top nine with Achari, six points in the last seven games, plus seven in that stretch. Levo, four points in that stretch with a plus two. So now you got 10 points and a plus nine out of those two spots in your lineup. That's a big part of it. It's also Jordan Bennington who has just been playing at an other level, another level compared to what we've seen from him, really, I mean, in the regular season, maybe since 2019. 
What has changed in your mind with what we've seen from Jordan Bennington? It's been most of the year at this point, but what, what looks different to you? Yeah, I think I think it has been most of the year, if not all the year, honestly. I, I just think he looks so smooth. I talked to Darren Pang about that for a story the other day, and you know he just said it's completely noticeable. I mean, a year ago this time we were talking about the sliding around in the crease, not in control, give up one goal, here comes two more. And it wasn't just on him. There were a couple nights where it was the defense also. Uh, but I just think he looks so in control. And you know we could sit here and analyze what are the reasons for it. Obviously, he hit the reset button in the offseason. He did his training. He rehabbed from the knee injury. Uh, and also, I've said this before, that I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Billy Huso's not around. It doesn't you know, give him entitlement to the position. But listen, last year, Billy Huso played a couple of good games and they ran with him. As good as Grace has been, that's not going to be the case. You know, uh, Craig Bruby has said a couple times this season already that he is our guy. He is our guy. Like there were a couple opportunities in this last stretch of games where you thought that the game might go to Grice, and they kept going with Bennington. Even look, last night's a, mm-hmm. a situation. Last place team in the league. You just played him a couple nights ago. Maybe go with Grice. He sticks with Bennington, and they need him. Look how, how well he played, and it's a 2-1 game there at the end before the empty netter. So I think uh, Bennington has been phenomenal. I think if there's anybody at this point. Now, if this changes in two weeks and you want to send me a message in two weeks, that's I'll not fair. I'll tweet well, this audio yeah. bite. Predict JR. the future, JR. <laughs> but at this point, I don't hear anybody talking about how crazy the contract is anymore, which is <laughs> all we heard last year. So uh, speaking of that tweet from Craig Berube, I, I, I saw you put He's that tweeting? out. No, well, oh. your tweet on Craig Bruby. That'd be great if he's tweeting. He's probably got a burner account somewhere. Him saying that Bennington's the guy, I- I've thought that too, and I've talked to BK and Grant about that. Like, It wouldn't surprise him by the end of the season if Bennington has played in 60-65 games just because this might be the year where they say, like, you're our guy, we're going to let you run with it. Yeah, he could. It-, it sounds like a high number. Maybe he could get close to that. But I think, you know, we're looking at a Thomas Grice who's looked pretty good especially lately the other night, looked really good. And and I don't blame him, uh, those couple losses that he had. Uh, there was a lot of bad play in front of him. But the one thing with Jordan Bennington and playing so much, uh, Alex, I think is the fact that they put themselves in that hole. Like, let's say they got a few points in Agreed. that eight-game losing streak. If, if they were sitting pretty in the standings, I think that maybe they did give Jordan Bennington a day off here or there. But they can't. They can't afford to. Uh, and again, no disrespect to Grice, but I just think it's a situation where they know what they're going to get in Jordan Bennington, and they got to play him, and, and you saw why last night. We're talking to Jeremy Rutherford in studio for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, JR, I, I was thinking about this last night as I was watching Pavel Buchnevich, who's just, like, the guy's unbelievable, and it's all around, right? You can play him in any situation. He's one of the best penalty killers in the league. If you, I, I was looking this up earlier. Um, if you look at the points over the last three seasons, he's in the top 50 in the NHL. You look at what he's done shorthanded. He's top five in the NHL among forwards and shorthanded goals over the last three years. He's got five of them. Is Pavel Buchnevich one of the best all-around forwards in the league at this point? Like, I forget talking about him relative to the Blues. Is you see a lot of the league because you travel around with this team? Do you? Is he one of the best forwards in the league now? Yeah, he does a lot, and that's why when they made the trade, I talked to uh, the coach Quinn in uh, in New York, and he said the Blues are getting a player right at the prime of his career because the the things that you just mentioned, he didn't necessarily do all those things. In those last couple years with the Rangers, he was just starting to kind of put it together, the PK, things like that. 
And, and so what I think he brings this blues is exactly what you're, you're saying. Uh, and also we see that he brings a little bit of an edge to him. Maybe not as much this year, I think, as we saw last year. But look at last night. Noel Achari scores the empty netter, and uh, there's a little rough and tumble stuff, and, and who's there but Buchnevich. So I think he is bringing this team. And he was in a little bit of a funk, but he's bringing this team exactly what he brought him last year, the 30 goals, hit number two star this week uh, in the NHL for his play. In the recent stretch, he's really coming alive at a good time, right when they needed him. I'm glad he didn't headbutt that guy last night. I don't <laughs> two need, games. Two I don't games. need a two-game suspension for Pavel Buchnevich. Jr. Final one for me, and uh, guess you're going to be surprised that we're back to this. Jacob Chikrin. Uh-oh. Brought it up with Craig Button a little bit ago, and uh, I we asked him, you know, the what does he think the the area that they're going to need to improve on by the end of the season will be, and he said defense like right away. I mean, does that even make sense for this team anymore? Now that you've got Letty and Krug and uh, you're going to have Scandella back, it seems, by the before the end of the season. Yeah, so it does make sense from the perspective of if you're looking at this Blues team, where do they probably still need help? It's probably on defense. Um, but you look at the situation, and, and I'm trying to see how it makes sense for the Blues, but also makes sense for Arizona because – you know they want prospects and picks, like Craig Button said, and like everybody around the league knows. Like they're working for the future. That ain't no problem. Yeah, do, but do they? You can <laughs> of give them BK's that. BK's got but, those. You can give them that, but can you give them a barbershop whose contract expires? And 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 what if he doesn't want to resign there? Like he's a winning player. He wants to be part of a winning situation, and and probably not Arizona. So if they can't resign him long term, then why are you taking the guy's salary for the last half of the year? That means nothing to you. Yeah, so, BK. So I think they want prospects That's and fair. picks. Also, here's another point I'll throw out there. You guys can help me think it out. Is I think that Doug Armstrong knows the asking price, and sure, maybe it changes from every six month window to six month window with him. But you kind of said, okay, that price is too high. We're not going to pay that. We have to sign Nick Letty. To me, when you sign Nick Letty, it kind of shows a little bit that you're out of that. Now, that doesn't mean you can't bring him in as well, but where's the money coming from? If you can't trade them Barbashev, where else are you moving it? Mikola. But they like Mikola. He's going to be a UFA, and I think you re-sign him. Like, he's not going to cost you 4 or $5 million, but he's going to cost you more than what he's getting And you right can't now. move Tory Krug out, one, because he's obviously part of the power play, and two, you tried in the offseason the and reports were. No trade he's got a no trade. He's definitely not going to Arizona. Right, and I'll, I'll make uh, I'll make one more point with Chikrin is uh, he's got a great deal, right? It's a team-friendly deal. What is it, like 4 four six. Four, six. He's got two more years left on that deal. So if you're going to make this trade, let's say you're going to trade two first-round picks and a, and a Zach Bolduke, and you're going to get Jacob Chikrin, and he's coming for two more years. We'll be ready to pay him in two more years. And, oh, what, oh by the way, keep in mind that you have Letty, Pareko, Falk, Krug still under contract, and now you're going to bump Chikrin up to, what, six, seven, potentially eight million if he plays like that, that type of player. I just think that uh, that's a, a lot for, to give for up. for three or four years down the road. Yeah, JR. you can <laughs> kick the can. Yeah, you can kick the can. We only discuss it on BK and Ferrario, the, the present year. We don't look three four years from now. Uh, and, and to be fair, like my guess, and this is just like going through this scenario of if they made this deal, then what, right? My guess cap-wise what they would do is they would have to remove – they would have to put either Barbie or Mikola into the deal, and that would just be salary cap purposes, right? And then next year, you'd probably have to trade one of those left-handed defensemen. Like, whether it be Letty or Krug, my my guess is they would have to find a way to move one of those guys. Now, we can discuss the merits of that decision and whether or not it – if they could move one of those two deals or if they should move one of those two deals. But that's 
probably what it would require from a cap manipulation it could, standpoint. Yeah, it looks like a lot of moving and shaking and what ifs to me, which I know this is what we do. Uh, but for a situation to bring Jacob Chikrin in, when I think when they signed Nick Letty and gave him the four years, four million, they said this is the direction we're going to go. I don't think they're going to pay a guy four million to play in the third pair. Where do you feel like they're they're light? Looking at them, eighteen games into the season. Well, I do think that's the one area. Defense. And even 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 in this winning stretch, we've seen a lot of turnovers in the back end, and so that unit and its forwards included, you know, struggled to get the puck out. Uh, but most importantly. Just cleaning up that crease area. But I'll go back and say this. You know, Doug Armstrong knew that when he signed those guys, and he believes that this is the type of roster that he wants to construct. He's not looking for slow big guys who can clear out the crease. These guys, I'm sure in his mind, just need to get the puck the heck out. <laughs> you know, like, so I think that's the situation that he's looking for, for the team to move the puck as opposed to go bring in one of those types of guys. Alex has some stats on that defense that he's going to get to coming up here in about 15 oh, minutes stay or tuned, so. JR. JR, we appreciate you hopping in studio with us today. Enjoy yourself on Thanksgiving. Enjoy all of the overrated food. Can't wait to hear all about it next week. Sounds good. You guys too. Thanks. That's Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic. You can find him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. That is where you will find all of his fantastic work coming up next. Better to forget it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's PK and Ferrario's bet it or forget it on 101 ESPN. Lucky you didn't say something else there. I don't think Alex knew we were coming back from I'm break. Le- I'm letting people know that he is such a good person. 65780 is the error comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. Alex is tired. Cheer him up. Text line 65780 nah, is the up. place to do it. Let's get into a game of bet Loser it or never losing again. Forget it. Let's start with this one from the 618. Guys, bet it or forget it. All four of the big name shortstops will sign in the National League this offseason. That's interesting. How would this happen? So, so Bogarts or Turner go to Philly. Let's say Turner goes to Philly because I think it makes it simpler for Correa to go to the Dodgers. Oh, see, I think. And then Swanson sticks with the Braves. And in this scenario, Bogarts goes to the Cubs. Something like that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet this one. I think all of them stick in the National League. Minnesota's going to be uh, left without a dance partner at the end of all of this. Which feels, I, I think, likely, honestly. Um, the Red Sox are the team that... Don't they have a prospect, though, that's coming up to play shortstop? Not that can replace Xander Bogarts. You well, know? I understand that. That's like the Cardinals. At, like, if Paul Goldschmidt were to... Like, let's... In this hypothetical world. Oh, man. Who this would be like crush Paul Goldschmidt now? being a free agent after last year and the Cardinals saying, oh, Jordan Walker is going to fit that spot at first base. Cardinals fans would be like, excuse me? <laughs> no, no, I don't think that's how that's going to work. That's not how this should work. Yeah, I I, I think I would bet this. I'm going to bet this one. I think I would bet that all of God, them end up signing in the National League. that's insane all of them stay in the National League and you do nothing. Yeah, it's not ideal. Can't Six, wait. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for bet it or forget it. This one comes from the 314. Bet it or forget it. The Blues will trade Vladimir Tarasenko for a defenseman before Christmas. I oh. could not forget this any oh, faster. Forget this. Your, your team is worse making that trade. Plus, Vladdy's not going to accept a no-trade clause Guys, unless Vla- he's going to a team that's going to potentially win a Stanley Cup and he gets to re-sign with them. I, I know people get frustrated with Vladdy sometimes. I 
think that it's unnecessary, but whatever. It doesn't need to have, be a conversation that we have right now. Vladimir Tarasenko is part of why you win games. He's, he's not a guy that you move on from when you're in your winning window. He has 13 points this year in 16 games. He's a close to a point per game player at this point in his career. If you lose him after the season for nothing, so be it. But Vladimir Tarasenko is a blue until this team bottoms out. Yep. I'd say the only reason why you would even consider trading Vladimir Tarasenko is if you think you're not going to make the playoffs, and that's Absolutely. not where this team is at. Yep, and that's why I'm curious after this four-week stretch because I could see them doing with Vladimir what they did with Paul Stastny and Kevin Chattenkirk, where they said, we feel like we're just not a... We're not at that level of competition to where we feel like we should garner some assets for a player like this. Yeah, I think him, O'Reilly, and Barbie are all in that category. See, I think O'Reilly would be the last to go if they got to that point. I think they would stick to O'Reilly and try and decide. It depends if they think that they're going to resign him. If they think that they're going to resign him, then you keep him. If they don't, then I think that you move him. Mm -hmm. And I'm not in favor of that. I'm in favor of them continuing to win and us not even having to worry about that. Yeah, but well, they're not going to lose a game again, so we're not going to have to worry about this. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 636. Guys, better to forget it. If the Cardinals sign only Wilson Contreras this offseason in terms of the big name free agents, that's their only big move. That would be considered a disappointing offseason. Got it. That's disappointing in my opinion because that doesn't make your team, that doesn't put your team at the same level as all of these other National League teams. Maybe I'm proven wrong, and maybe some of your guys show up. Maybe you get Cody Bellinger out of Jordan Walker. Or maybe Mason Wynn does come up and become an asset to this team. But I, I think on paper, that's a disappointment from what the expectations are. If you're Nolan Arenado, and you were basically sold to stay here and not opt out based on the fact that the Cardinals were going to be increasing their payroll big time this offseason, and that is your offseason, what do you think he thinks? I was lied to. It just depends, man. Like, I, it's so hard to know because would this be a disappointing offseason for most fans? Yes, I, I believe that it would be. And, and I think maybe even Nolan Arenado, if you got him in his heart of hearts, would say, man, really? Thought we were all, doing more all than those this. guys were out there. And like, I like Wilson Contreras. Wilson Contreras is a really good player, and I think he makes the Cardinals better. It's the only one that we made. It's the only big move. Okay. But I think that that tune could completely change like 20 games into the season if Tyler O'Neill looks like he's back to 2021 form. Or, and, and it's not even that all of these things need to happen. It's like one of them needs to happen. Lars Newtbar continuing, continues what he did at the end of last year as opposed to what he was at the beginning of last year. Or Jordan Walker looks like he's become Cody Bellinger from, what was it, 2017. Like if any of these things happen, well, then now we're looking at it. It's like, okay, so you got Wilson Contreras. It's a big bat behind the plate. You've got your two corners on the infield. Now you've got at least one like big time bat in the outfield. Potentially I can work around this. So that's where I think things could change quickly. And I think that's probably how the Cardinals view this right, wrong or indifferent. I think they're saying we have a lot of bets that we could place and we have a lot of potential outs here. It's like playing a game of poker where you've got a whole lot of outs still remaining on the table. The Cardinals kind of view their hand as being that way. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for better to forget it. Guys, better to forget it. Mizzou will win by double digits on Friday against Arkansas. Oh, I do not see did that. You see what Arkansas place. just did this? Well, you saw it because it uh, ruined your pick em. Unfortunately, that's unfortunate for you. I, I think this is actually going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a fun one to watch because it's it's good on good. And what I mean by that is Arkansas's offense is quite good. 
Missouri's defense is very good. Isn't it Senior Day too? Uh, they had guys? Senior Day last year, oh, okay. last week. Missouri's offense, however, is quite bad, and Arkansas's defense is really bad. So, I think this is a game where the first to twenty-four wins. It's a matter of do you think that Mizzou's offense can get to twenty-four in this game? I do not think though that they will win by ten. That that That's is crazy. Way too much. I think this will be a one-score game in one way or the other. If if Mizzou wins, I think it's a one-score game. If, if Arkansas they, ends up winning, I think there's a chance for a blowout. Yeah, I was going to say, I could see Arkansas blowing it out of the waters, but Mizzou, uh, if they win, it's going to be by like a field goal. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for better to forget it, guys. Better to forget it. Mike Vrabel will win coach of the year again this season. I'm uh, I'm beginning to bet this more now oh, after last okay. week, Welcome our conversation. Aboard, buddy. He's, how is he doing this with Ryan Tannehill? I know the answer to that. It's Derrick Henry. But the defense, I think, has been more impressive. How you took a defense that I thought was going to be average at best, and they're actually a really tough defense to play against in the AFC. For me, I would have two guys on my list of coach of the year this season. It would be Mike McDaniel and Mike Vrabel. Those would be the two guys that I would have that I'm voting on. Depending on how the outcome of the season, the Vikings head coach might be there too. See, I don't – I mean, he's been fine. I, I think you look they, at the record, though, and you sit there and say, I mean, nobody expected this from the Vikings. But they should have. Like, there were talks before the season of, are the Vikings the best team in the NFC North? And maybe we didn't expect 8-2, and two, but this is kind of the quality of team that I expected them to be coming into the year. I thought the Packers were going to make it a little bit more competitive with them in that the division. the Packers more than it is about the Vikings, you know? Yeah. So, I, like, Nick Sirianni is going to be the guy that a lot of people will talk about, and he's right now the, the clear favorite, the overwhelming favorite in Vegas. He is a, like, you have to bet $125 to win $100 on Nick Sirianni. I get it. He's had a really good season. I think the Eagles are just overwhelmingly talented, though. So I, I would go with the two guys that I think have clearly made their teams better, and that would be Mike McDaniel for me and Mike Frabel. Robert Sala's going to win it when he benches Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco leads him to the playoffs. That's if, be if Grant had an opportunity to vote, he'd be voting all of his picks on Robert Sala if he does that. Mike Frabel is at 28-1 to 1 on the FanDuel Sportsbook right that now. That seems like an easy win. I mean, that's just – it's worth betting on at 28-1. to 1. That's crazy to me. Uh, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But Alex has a good stat on the Blues defense. What they have done offensively this year, having a bit of a revival in this winning streak. He'll tell you about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll have the rewind coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, one of the things that has come to life for the Blues once again during this winning streak is the offense from their defensemen. I know that's something you have honed in on. You got a stat for our good listeners today. You're darn tootin' I do. So, in their last... What? What? Did you think I was going to go say something else? Go ahead, man. Darn tootin'. It's a great phrase. I don't know why 77 people... 77 years old on the radio. I don't know why more right people now. don't use darn tootin' in this. So in this seven-game win streak... Can't imagine why. You know what? Enough out of you. Seven-game win streak. The Blues' points from their defensemen are five or six goals 
and I was double checking the update from last one. Six goals and nine assists in their last seven games. So you've got 15 points from your defenseman in seven games right now. And a lot of it, what's more impressive to me are the goals that you're being scored. You got two goals from Callie Rosen, two goals from Tori Krug, and I believe it's two goals from Justin Falk there. So those are three guys that they have built that identity around of being, well, not Callie Rosen, but they built the identity around guys getting involved on the offense. But if you look at the goals that they're scoring, it's power play goals. One from Tory Krug that was a one-timer in the slot. Justin Falk uh, last night scores it on the far side with a pass from Robert Thomas. You're not just getting slap shots from the blue line from your defenseman. You're getting your defenseman being a part of the five-man unit cycle around the net that are honing in, and they're playing like forwards, which is, in my opinion, what makes this team dangerous when they're playing well is a team can find a way to eliminate your offense from your forwards. They could take on a Thomas Kyrou and Buchnevich, but you can't eliminate an offense when your two defensemen are involved with it also. Now, some of this is going to result in turnovers going the other way and odd man rushes, but that's where Jordan Bennington comes into play here. If he's playing confident, the team can play confident in front of him. And if you're getting this contribution from your defense, that's a that's a scary look to this team that I believe Doug Armstrong was trying to construct when he put this roster together. Yeah, it was I think it was Panger who mentioned this on the broadcast last night, if I'm not mistaken. And he, he was talking about how when, when you see a defenseman jumping up into like b- behind the net and not worrying so much about what's going on behind them, that's a sign of a confident defenseman. And he was talking about Mikola, who hasn't come up in this conversation, but he was saying how like Mikola, when he when he gets a little caught in between, that's when you can tell he's not playing with confidence because then he's like, should I should I get back? Mm-hmm. Should, I, should, I, should I start should drifting? Worry about back? making mistakes. He's just concerned, right? And you can see this in any sport. Yeah, well, you can see it in your everyday life where um, you, you're thinking to yourself like you get into a rut at, at work and your boss is looking over your shoulder and you're thinking like, should, should I make that move? Should mm-hmm. And then you get caught. You get caught in between. And things happen so fast on the ice. If you do that, you're done. Like, it's just over for you. And Mikola has been playing with speed. You see Tori Krug, who's been shooting with confidence lately. Same thing is true last night. That shot by Justin Falk was a missile. Mm-hmm. Callie Rosen's been shooting like crazy. Sometimes you see this and the defensemen are worried that if they shoot those, hey, what if I miss the puck? It starts going in transition the other direction. And now I cost my team the goal. These guys are just playing with a whole heck of a lot of confidence right now. And I think that's been the biggest difference for them is just they believe that they're going to be able to score. And if they don't, they know that they can cover it up going in the other direction. And I think a part of this, too, guys, is Jordan Bennington. The way Jordan Bennington has been playing is they say, okay, well, if there is a breakaway going in the other direction and I'm not able to shut that down, I do have confidence that our goalie is going to be able to make that big stop when we need it. He has not given up a breakaway goal this season. Is that true? Yeah, he has not given up one breakaway goal this season. That's how solid Jordan Bennington has been. Those breakaways last season, when they would be in that spot, they would play hesitant because they knew Jordan Bennington was a little fragile. And if a play goes the other way, they're not sure if he's going to make that stop. You start to play defensive hockey. And when you play defensive hockey, you're going to make mistakes. But when you play loose this way, where you play the way that you just want to go out there and skate around and create offense... It, it, it makes you a da- more dangerous team. And so what they've got right now, if they've got six defensemen who at any time can rifle off a shot and either create a scoring chance out of it if bodies are in front of the net or score a goal because that's how talented the six defensemen are. So I think this calls for something that we've been missing lately. It's been too long, in my opinion. 
I tried to get us to one last week. Alex said, mm, don't have one for you right now. Yeah, you got to wait for it. And this one felt organic. It came to it came to be during the show, in fact. Alex, I think it's a it's time for a Ferrari. Oh five. my god, my body's been cold waiting for this. Grant, hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario Five, a top five list of very random things. So Ferrario, give us your top five. All right, five side dishes at Thanksgiving dinner. Let's dive into this one right here. First things first, mac and cheese. Just kidding, we're not doing that. Five. We all know mac and cheese is like seventh on that list. Yeah, mac and cheese is trash. Whoa. What? Of all things that you think are trash, that, that's what did it, huh? For Thanksgiving, mac and cheese is trash. No, I that's love when you, a good that's, mac and cheese. That's when you get the crispy crumbles on the no, top. No, look, man. Casser- oh. Look, man, when my daughter's screaming at the top of her lungs, that's where mac and cheese is the goat because I can make it in two you minutes. You don't like mac and cheese on Thanksgiving? No. Are you un-American? No, I'm, I'm actually, well, I'm actually Italian. Okay, there's sure. Italian food. All right, five. five Thank you. Come on, man. Why'd you go to Thanksgiving? For the... Uh, Coming off of the Blues winning streak. You have me all frazzled over here. <laughs> got me all Five bold heavy. predictions for the rest of the year from Alex Ferrario coming off of this winning First streak. things first. So number five. Both power play and penalty kill will be top ten by the end of the season. Power play right now is sitting got at 11. Work to do. They got some work to do, especially on the penalty kill. <laughs> yeah. But if there's one area that I wouldn't be concerned about, it's the penalty kill. I think the penalty kill is much better than what they're presenting right now. I do think that it's a little bit of a different scheme that they're trying to get figured out. But when they get it figured out, they'll get locked in. They had a really good penalty kill, I think, against the Anaheim Ducks yesterday, building off of the two-for-four performance that they had against the Anaheim Ducks prior to that. Um, but when healthy, I think this penalty kill's top 10, and the power play, of course, is top 10. So that's my fifth bold prediction. And if that's five, I'm curious to see oh, what the top four are. It gets better. It gets so much better. Fourth bold prediction. After this win streak, by the end of this season, the Blues will be top two in the Central Division. I actually agree with that. Oh, that's more surprising than his mac and cheese take. I, I think Winnipeg is going to drop off sooner or later. Connor Hallibuck is not this good. He always has his rough and tumbles every once in a while. Uh, Dallas, I also believe, is not this good. I think Dallas will hit that leadership point of the season where they start to struggle. Jason Robertson, I told him, Grant, last night, he's got 13 goals in 19 games. Do you know the Blues penalty kills 29th right now? I do. That's why I said bold prediction. That is quite Here's how I think the Central will finish the season. I think Colorado will be first. I think the Blues will be second, and I think Dallas will be third. But I think the Blues will finish top two in the Central Division by the end of the year because of how they've performed in this win streak. I think that's a totally reasonable take. Wow. Huh. All right. Let's see if you fancy this one. Number three. Number three. Blues acquire a top nine winger by the deadline. Like that. I, I know Craig Button said that defense is going to be their area. I think they'll view it as Marco Scandella will be healthy for us. He'll become a 6'7th defenseman. We've got Callie Rosen. Mikola's got experience. Bortuzzo's here. Tyler Tucker will have experience. they got a plethora of that. They'll look to say, let's do what Colorado did last season and go get ourselves an Arturi Lekkanen. Let's go get ourselves a guy who could play 200 feet, can play in our top nine. So like a, a better version of Josh Lee. Absolutely. So Ivan Barbashev can drop down to be a fourth liner. If your fourth line by the end of the season is Barbie, Torpchenko, and Achari. Might be Barbie, Achari, and Levo. 
Put some respect on Toropchenko's name. Put some respect on Josh Levo's name. The man is 7-0 and when he plays north of 10 minutes. I appreciate all of his contributions. By the end of the season, my hope is that they have upgraded so much on this roster that Josh Levo's services are no longer necessary. I got, enough. I got a bold prediction. You suck. Okay. <laughs> That's not even bold. Um, I... I I like that one a lot, actually. Okay. Let's see if you like the last two, because, oh, boy, we're about to get fancy up in here. Shania Twain style. Look it up. It's a good country song. Number two. Justin Falk will receive Norse Trophy votes by the end oh, of the season. Don't like this I one. saw this one coming. <laughs> Come on, Grant. We talked this about is this the last only year. one I'm not on board with. Okay. That's fine. Look, his plus minus has to get better than what it is, and it's got it's improved compared to what it was like What's his five I, games ago. Here's my question on this one. I know this is a bold prediction, so this is not like you're saying this is definitely going to happen. What is oh, his case? How, how does Points. how does his case get made? Points. It's not like this guy's never received Norris Trophy votes before. He got Norris Trophy votes last season. I'm not saying he's going to win the Norris Trophy. I'm saying he's going to get votes for the Norris Trophy. Last year, his case was the fact he was a plus 41. It's freaking awesome. But it also comes down to you scoring points. He also received Norris Trophy Award votes back in 2014-15 when he put up 49 points. We're talking about that, though. He was he was 22nd in the Norris Trophy voting in 2015, and he was 15th last year. Like, we talking top 10? I'd say top 15. Okay. Okay. I could sure, see that. I, I could get in that conversation. I mean, it, the, I, I thought you meant we like legitimately the in the conversation to I, win the North. I mean, I think, I mean, you're t- between 10 and 15, I think it's pretty recognizable to be able to be in the conversation of the top 15 defensemen in the National Only Hockey League. Only five guys are voted upon. So, like last year, I have man, to... why are you ishing on my, my bold predictions here? Oh, it's not very bold. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think he's going to be 15th in the Norris Trophy. Sometimes I hate you so much. Number one on this list. We're just going to move past this because he likes to just ruin everything. Captain Buzzkill over here. Last year, he received one fifth place vote. Got a vote. Got a vote, didn't he? Got a vote, didn't he? (laughs) Got a vote, didn't he? Like, did you know that? Yeah. He's got, here's the thing though. Like he's got 14 points in 18 games. And we all know people judge the Norris Trophy by offense. If you, I mean, that's nearly a point per game player right there for you. At the end of an 82-game schedule, if he's on pace for that, you're talking about a guy who could have 75 points. And the reason why I ask is just because this year it's really hard because there's 18 different defensemen that have 14 points this year. Understandably so. But if you have a defenseman who finishes with 70 points, that's freaking incredible. And he's on pace for that right now. He's, good, he's a point per game player. That's the way I'm viewing it. You're not going to like this one if you did like this one. I said this bold prediction before the season started. I'm sticking to it, and this is going to go beyond your, ooh, you're going to get a 15 vote. Jordan Bennington will finish top five in Vezina Trophy voting See, now this that year. is a bold prediction, and I like it. I like that one, too. I like Honestly, it. it wouldn't surprise me if he's top three, but he will finish top five in Vezina Trophy votes this year. By the end of this you know season. Billy who still got Vezina Trophy votes last year? top 15 There's just one, though. There's just one fifth place the, vote as well. The three best goaltenders by the end of the season, I think, in the National Hockey League will be Linus Olmark from the Boston Bruins. I think Jake Ottinger will be up there with the Dallas Stars, and I think Jordan Bennington will be there for the Blues. So you're not putting Vasilevsky up there? No, because I think Vasilevsky and Shesterkin have had a rough go to where I, I... I think Vasilevsky is the best goaltender in the National Hockey League without question. I also think Vasilevsky is probably freaking exhausted for how much he has played over the last four seasons. Another guy you have to watch out for there is Ilya Sorokin. Ilya Sorokin, for sure. Uh, Shesterkin's always going to find a way to put himself back in the conversation. Your but give. He's had a good year. Okay.
Yeah, no. Grant, <laughs> he said, okay. Grant and I are on the same page. He's trash, but he's at, he's at a 930 save percentage on the year. Yeah, how do you do against the Blues? I'm with you. I'm with Bennington you. will get top five votes in the National Hockey League this season. That He'll I be a like. top five goaltender by the end of the year. I like that one. That's that's a real one. That's going out on a limb. Fine. I respect Justin, that. I'll, I'll rescind it. Justin Falk is going to get top ten Vezina trophies. That make you happier? Yeah. The rewind is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex is ditching all of us tomorrow. He's going to go hang out with the family, get an extra day of Thanksgiving. I get it, man. We'll talk to you on Monday. Grand France is going to be in studio with us, though. We will also have Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, right. in studio. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. There was a fantastic conversation that we had earlier today with Craig Button. Jeremy Rutherford joined us as well, and we talked with Danny Mack today. So plenty to just... Plenty to get into on the podcast page on 101 ESPN. I wasn't listening in the first hour, so I'll go back and listen on my way home. Hey, you should do that. Yeah. You should do that. I heard it was a good I wouldn't show. recommend listening to the 130 segment. There was a Ferrari 05. It was a dumpster fire put into a trash can. Dumpster that was... fire that I will almost guarantee you all four of the five are going to hit by the end of the season. Can't wait for Justin Falk to get one fifth place vote by some dummy for the Norris Trophy. All I said was he's going to get <laughs> votes for the Norris Trophy. And said, if you know what? You say votes? Multiple, votes. plural, votes. Yeah, plural. I can't wait for it. For Alex Ferrario, who done. we'll talk to on Maybe. Monday. I'm out. <laughs> we'll see if he wants to come back in Not studio. With you. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11, right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.